0: Thanks for the laugh there. Your laugh's a yeah, good. Wow. All right. Well, that's one hell of a build-up. I'll have to edit down, but jeez. <laughs> yeah.
1: I need a drink. You know.
0: <laughs> so anyway, on that note. <laughs> time to pop the wine. There you go. So Tonight. <laughs> You're listening to Weird Sons the It'll be tonight time you get to the show, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> You're listening to Weird the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight we talk the weird world of the Elvis film, The King Died on the Throne. The Films of Elvis Presley on Big Papa Online Network on Block Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to I think this is the kickoff of the seventh season, correct? This is seven or eight? I think it's the seventh. Okay, I'm pretty sure it's the seventh season now. A Weird Season Side the the Goldmine, your central guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my long-suffering PTSD <laughs> co-host, to yeah. Lewis-Paul, as yeah. we discuss the beloved the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. Elvis Presley. The very name conjures a host of associations, both general and particular to the individual. The young trucker with a golden voice making his way through the tough southern rockabilly circuit before emerging as the poster boy for everything rock and roll, both the positive liberation of an emergent youth culture and the first musician to truly cross the color line of the era and the negative associations of stiff-necked traditionalists and conservative fear damning everything from rock and roll to comic books for their children's nascent rebellion from conformity, the clean-cut army brat with the whirlwind and presumably chaste romance with a teenage Priscilla Beaulieu, the surprisingly adept actor and musician, contract bound into a decade worth of million dollar picture films seemingly unaffected and siloed away from a rapidly and dramatically changing world the high overlord of Las Vegas both one of its biggest draws and chronicle of his ongoing downfall a spiral of cheesy balladeering noticeable weight gain and increasing wackiness from karate and UFO obsessions to meetings with the controversial Richard Nixon and using an honorary law enforcement badge to pull over random strangers and give them a Cadillac all eventually culminating in an ignominious demise consuming truckloads of drugs while as the coroner's report notes straining at stool in his lavishly appointed bathroom. There are at least three distinct Elvises, each with its own gaggle of posthumous impersonators, who can marry you in a quickie Vegas wedding, and fans, a figure of bizarrely literal worship to some many of whom eagerly devour weekly world news sightings and entertaining conspiracy theories that he may actually still be alive, a figure of camp to others, but a versatile performer to all. Tonight, we celebrate perhaps the strangest element of Elvis's life and career, his films, a cinema that occupies its own bizarre, detached universe, as different from pale imitators like the Frankie and Internet Beach Party films or the many JD films of the 50s and early 60s, as they are from traditional musicals or cinema proper neither television-style sitcom or hard-edged rebel-without-a-cause teenage outsider film, but standing somewhere crossing all of those and coming off far superior in terms of budget, supporting cast, and general quality of entertainment than any of their putative rivals. So join us tonight as we share an appropriately balanced mix of both well-deserved laughs at their expense and due respect to these unique bits of Americana, only here on Weird Scenes. So, Elvis is a character in himself. I'm sure we could do shows just on his whole life and career outside of the films. But beyond the good and the bad of him, I will say that I was known for being not an Elvis impersonator because we're talking about, you know, early high school days more or less. I'm actually running all through high school but I was known for just dropping into Elvis impersonations at the drop of a hat and I was a huge fan of his early stuff. I still do love his you know Sun Studios the early rockabilly stuff but at the time I was more into the later stuff that everybody knows the Hound Dog era the 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong I had that. Yeah I had all those records all those greatest hits and whatever the hell and I played the hell out of them I knew all the songs and I would just drop into them singing all the time and people knew me for this you know I'd do the hip thing the whole deal the sneer so yeah Yes, you could say that, at least at the time. I was a big Elvis fan. Later on, I came to appreciate him more for the camp value. And that's more where I stand these days, especially as I learned more about his personal life and having sex in his underwear and UFOs and becoming a uh, coked-up U.S. Marshal. the He got uh, Nixon to give him that silly badge where he could pull people over and pretend he's a cop and then give him a Cadillac. The karate. There's a lot of things that really were silly about him. And, of course, the fact that, in the end, he ultimately, the king, died on the throne doing a bunch of drugs on the toilet severely overweight and <laughs> that's where he went. He was on the cam. Well well, you know it, it's funny, you know, it, it, it's funny how
1: interesting UFOs. It's a lot of Yes, and and you know, at one time we could have snickered about this kind of thing, but nowadays I'm beginning to think what what are they privy to that we're not? Because the same thing happened with Stallone. There's there's I don't know if this is going to come up or not when we do the show, There's also something about a UFO cult and him as well, which I saw online. Some woman even wrote a uh, self-published book about like I was in Sylvester Stallone's UFO sex cult. <laughs> so it's interesting how. Celebs get involved in this stuff and kung fu. But the thing with, yeah, we're not. Yeah, as you said in the intro, I'm sorry, modern chin, but it's sort of like we gotta have a whole show about this guy's psyche. Yes. yes. But we're not doing that tonight because we're discussing Elvis
0: on film. And probably some TV stuff. Yeah. And I will say, in terms of what these celebs are in on, that they're getting into this UFO thing, it's probably good drugs. but, (laughs) But. Nonetheless, Elvis is a character. For good and for bad. There's a lot of really cool things about him. There's a lot of really ridiculous good old ball things like shooting out light bulbs in his pool for fun, you know, with a with twenty two. I mean the guy's a piece of work. But the thing about him is that the Elvis movie, he had gone, for those who really don't know anything about the guy, after starting off his career, which was originally an accident, he was just recording A forty five, he got some money together, he was a trucker. He recorded a forty five for his mother. He was a real mama's boy right. over at Sun Studios and somebody had brought it to uh, Sam Phillips, the, the head of the label, said, you know, this guy's got some talent. You know, this is, the, the song itself wasn't that great. He didn't care for it, but he was like, you know what, maybe we can do something with him. He's got enough of, at the time, there was a very strict line, not just in socially, but musically between, if you want, the color line. What black folks were listening to, like R&B and soul and blues, and what white folks were listening to, country music and God knows what else, you know, schmaltz, You know, Frank Sinatra or whatever. And and here was a white kid that really kind of had the soul and the vibe and the i guess indoctrination in the sound and feel of the r&b and he's like you know what let's try something here so he brought him in they did some Excellent, excellent stuff. Actually, if there's a record out there that I had on cassette on the Warriors now with this, in terms of CDs or whatever, it's the Sun Studio Sessions. If you get it, there are multiple takes on just about every track on there. But some of these things are fucking genius. Rockabilly. I love Rockabilly anyway. I'm the mm-hmm. craps fan the whole deal. Carl Perkins, Juan Jackson, and throwing Husky, you name it. Gene Vincent. But when it comes down to this, nobody really touches Elvis. I gotta say that. Those tracks are just amazing I mean to this day I mean now even seeing Elvis with more John Sky and laughing at okay yeah he became what he became it's like those tracks are really there would be no rock and roll without them, no question there's yeah. no two ways about this I don't care if Chuck Berry and all that stuff came on later it wouldn't have crossed the color line this stuff was foundational for what we know in terms of music culture these days and from there he got in with people eventually i don't know how fast it was but he got in with a fellow who was actually a, a dutchman naturalized i believe and a car salesman colonel tom parker that was not his <laughs> real name <laughs> that was not his real name it was something like who knows what you know sven Neutvist or whatever but he basically managed him and yes he made Elvis a hell of a lot of money because he was a good salesman a good huckster and elvis trusted him unfortunately he trusted him too far he wound up gotten taken for a lot of money that he should have had and some decisions while they did make Elvis a hell of a lot of money, also kind of made him into the joke that he became later. One being, he went into the army, which was, you know, the thing to do at the time. He was drafted, whatever. They actually wanted to put him somewhere even more safe than where he wound up. Uh, Elvis didn't like that idea. He's like wanted to do something, be like a man of the people, if you will. They still kept him separate. He really didn't do anything. He was protected over there in Germany. That's where he met Priscilla, who was his future wife, which was another story. Bottom line was, he came back from the military, and while he was gone, was that whole thing where... You know, the day the music died, rock and roll kind of died off. They had that accident with uh, Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper and Richie Valens. And all of a sudden you had all this crap coming up. Like, I don't think it was that fast, but around that time is when you had Fabian and Frankie Avalon and the fakers that they put in for the young girls to get hot for, but they weren't really doing rock and roll music.
1: But those names have come up. In the show, because with the success of some of the films
0: we're going to discuss,
1: these guys also launch. Well, their managers or agents or whatever their their
0: groups also launch careers with these guys. Oh, the beach party movies. Yeah, my wife loves those. with Frankie The Online. beach party uh,
1: movies. Fabian made. The, they went so far as to, and it's going to be interesting because the the films we're going to discuss about Elvis Presley are a genre unto themselves. Yes. And these other guys, uh Frankie, Fabian, there's a host of other names, Bobby Darren.
0: Bobby Darren's another one, yes.
1: Actually did a couple of these kind of goofy, smiley things, and then later on, as the sixties start to get toward the end of the decade, for whatever reason, those guys start doing oddball things like maybe the occasional spaghetti western maybe like Frankie Avalon did Horror House the British picture Bobby Darin did Pressure Point actually early on Gregory Peck that's a very bizarre movie I mean there's a lot of stuff that the other people who rode in I'm gonna use these words carefully rode in on the coattails of Elvis Presley's success actually probably had more of a interesting though brief or infrequent film career than Elvis did but
0: he's more remembered because he's Elvis yeah and the thing with Elvis is as soon as he got back from the army Colonel Tom Stockman films and originally they started being serious and most of those films I don't like my wife doesn't like they've got a very different tone critics tend to like them it's like oh look Elvis really can act yes he can but the films suck. Oh, you mean when they came back? Uh, yeah, the very first ones. But as it goes on, they start to develop into an animal unto themselves, like you were mentioning. <laughs> and while he was making literally a million dollars of film, and this is in the 60s. We're talking about 1960 to 1968 here. He's making a million dollars of fucking film. That's a lot of money. The guy was floating in it. Okay, yes, Colonel Tom took at least 50%, but even there, he was making a lot of money. But... He was trapped. He was trapped into this contract. He had to make, I think it was two or three films a year. Uh, maybe it was four films a year. It was a lot. He put a lot of films out. And the trick with this is, Elvis himself would always say things like, "Yeah, you know, some films and you know, some songs I was saying, yeah, they weren't very good." And it was kind of embarrassed by him. Of course, he was also embarrassed by Hound Dog, but that's another story. Nonetheless, he was kind of trapped in this thing and became more and more marginalized as the '60s went on. So, getting to the films themselves, I want to say that the first and most important thing about the Elvis movie that you'll seldom hear addressed, but which is its most basic component they're positively ritualistic i mean it's like a hilarious reducto ad absurd my drummer used to deliver about how he could write a kickboxing film back in the late 80s or early 90s hate 80s, where he include everything from dead relatives the cyborgs to the futuristic ones to the current modern day ones and he would do this in about two minutes and five paragraphs or less recite out exactly okay it's going to be this or this or this or this or this and you could name Pretty much every film from Cynthia Rothrock, Van Damme, whoever, you know, Michael Dudikoff, name any kickboxing film from that era. Don the Dragon Wilson, you know, Lorenzo Llamas, all of them fall into these two or three paragraphs here and rattle off. And that's the thing that happens with all those movies. They follow a pattern or more to the point of choice of three patterns. Who was that guy who sold exercise equipment? Was that Jalal Murray? Who is? Oh that? yeah, Gil Jenkins a Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep. He used to do that uh, military basic training, be on a military yeah. boat, every day. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he did, he did a bunch of like C grade movies, some done up in Canada, and
0: then uh, they were like, if you went to the video store, like, who is this? He's on every other movie. Oh, Jalal Murray. Yes. Ah, yes. I love that guy. He, the, oh, wow, those are really low rent. I love those films. He usually had Billy Blanks in them. <laughs> Sometimes Billy Roddy Blanks, Roddy Piper. Too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> And you look, remember going to the video store, it was like it was like the video boxes, the VHS boxes, but like yes. sometimes offset, they're like, they look like they were like bootlegs, but they weren't, they were so cheaply made, yes. and you would watch these things like, who is this guy? And then years later, you forgot all about him, and you're watching late night TV, and there he is all buffed, and somebody put oil on his on, his, on his body, <laughs> It's like, I'm going to show you how to work out, you know I say?
0: I rediscovered him by accident. I was doing well, we did a show with Cynthia Rothrock, anybody that was to the old Third Eye. And while I was doing that, some of the films kind of crossed over with, here's with this guy, here's with that guy. And one of the ones was Jalal Murphy. You know, like the Tiger Claws films. Right. She was in one or two of those. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I remember this guy. I was laughing. I was talking to my wife about Ty there? That, that came up for some reason. I'm like, oh, Billy Blank. He actually used to be a kickboxing star. And I remember yeah. I used to enjoy his movies. They were really stupid in Loren. But, you know, he was actually semi-serious. He want to call that series the time before he became this Tybo jerk and Sure enough, there he is again. Jalal Murray put these things on. Like, who the hell is this guy? Apparently, he was just some guy that had money. Yes, that's true. Yeah, yes. That was I don't even know he was really a kickboxer. He was just a guy to have money and want to be a star. But <laughs> funny stuff if you ever check him out. Talons of the Eagle is my favorite. That's a good that. one. Yeah. But anyway, bottom line is these Elvis films—they really never break from these three patterns. While there's distinct types of Elvis film, there's precious few anomalies. You know the ritual demands strict ceremonial precision. Not one jot. Or to little less or more as such there's a weird comfort to be found in the sameness it's like an alternate universe they and they alone mm. seem to inhabit that never actually changes even as i mentioned about the 60s and how he got marginalized as the world changes madly around them mm. i couldn't find the book in the collection i'm not sure which one it was in but i have this one book that includes this priceless appendix just how out of touch was elvis in the 60s which paired what elvis was doing or singing about in his latest film with major social and political events of that year. They're a hermetic universe, an Ouroboros that swallows his own tail. My father used to say that there's a few things you need to make an Elvis movie. He has to sing, usually in a group setting around stage. He sing. has to get the girl. There's got to be a fight and though he didn't say it, generally involving some half-assed karate, and he'll usually race cars, motorcycles, or maybe a boat before it's over. Often once, he'd had to go through all sorts of nonsense to pay for or repair during the course of the film. He's always the black sheep in town, he gets misunderstood by everyone, including the girl, but he's always a good guy at heart and gets her in the end some things he did forget most of them have a weird side thing about kids almost always little girls and to modernize a lot of these and the songs he sings to them and how he kind of winds up all the time stuck as de facto caretaker babysitter or serious crush for them just comes off as like this is like pedal bait what the hell is this but it's actually hard to see them as oh you know like they're intended elvis and kids isn't he great marriage material it's more like oh my god is this some inside Uh joke about priscilla (laughs) <laughs> but, but I'm curious to see whether or not you caught this Because
1: there is one early 60s film After he came back from the army mm-hmm. Where they toned down the Elvis breaks into music thing I think it might even been Clifford Odets Might have been involved with this It's called Wild in the Country, I yes. believe that's the one Yes, Where it's probably best thing he's ever done And it's so strange We're talking, I mean, for me We're talking like, wow heavy Germanic stuff, and he almost almost pulls it off. Yeah, no, he's
0: not a bad actor at all. You know what movie I'm talking about, right? Sure do. That's the one with Tuesday yeah. World, in not it? Um, yeah. Another thing I'll probably come across, Sensibility sensibilities infected by decades of increasingly strident feminism, to be honest, is what back in the 60s and to some extent the 70s and 80s was considered a typical pickup attempt or even arguably a smooth operator. That, mm. He comes off now as a walking sexual harassment lawsuit and for many of his frustrated <laughs> lines in these films, Elvis comes off more like a woman hater than a sex symbol film after film. My wife kept laughing about that. I was like, Oh my God, I gonna get arrested nowadays. That said, what I just pointed out is how ridiculous that mentality and way of looking at the world really is. You know, despite his recurrence of I'm gonna take you on my knee and give you a spanking and stuff like that the women are never defenseless and weak. Yeah, but it's not just this. It's not just this. It's it's funny. Oh yeah. We we
1: grew up and lived through and what we thought was cool now in retrospect it looks very bizarre to us. Yes. For example, uh, outside of this, my Lou, Jerry Lewis, one of his best films ever, The Nutty Professor. Uh, I don't think we ever covered Jerry. No. It's a great film. It's 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 actually brilliant on so many levels. But what's really fucking bizarre about it? When Jerry turns into Buddy Love, mm-hmm. he's this misogynous, <laughs> chain smoking, which probably was Jerry, you know, really hardcore. You could see you could see Buddy Love hanging out with Frank. Yeah, indeed, because that's probably Jerry's Jerry's alter ego. That was the real Jerry. The thing was, Jerry was very smart about this. In The Nutty Professor, everybody got turned off by Buddy Love. The kids love Buddy Love, but the girl—I uh, think it was Stella Stevens—who was liking the professor, the nerdy mm-hmm. guy, got turned off by Buddy Love. Yep. So that that swaggering kind of thing. So this is the thing here with the with the Elvis movies too—is that like they were smart enough not to push it too much. They were smart enough to keep him within a zone for a while. Although, the, uh, as I mentioned before, Wild in the Country and a couple other pictures, they tried to, like, let's step outside
0: and see how this works. And then, like, okay, let's go back inside. So, let's go to the movies. Well, on that point, the women never come off defenseless or weak in these things. I mean, Ooh. actually, Elvis has a lot of trouble landing any of the girls he wants in the films. True. If you go by them, it becomes apparent that the women are actually pulling the strings. And much of the film's narrative thrust revolves around Elvis's attempts to woo, prove himself, debunk numerous misunderstandings along the way, and finally win the inevitably hard-to-get starlet, which is hardly a case for me, too. Well, yeah, I,
1: and let me jump in. Uh, let, let me jump, jump on you with that one. I was looking at the leading female cast for all these pictures. They were what we would consider consider hot, and yet interesting. I mean, we got Carol on. Jones, We got Oh yeah We got like Barbara Eden Well nobody ever thought Barbara Eden was hot Except for like Crazy fucking motherfuckers <laughs> So Carolyn Jones And like you know Tuesday Wells She was a freak And still is And you know Lots of other people And you know Until later on We got like Anne Margaret I'm like okay How's this gonna work And but <laughs> we, we will We will Name drop some of the actresses in these movies because we can't possibly go into great details about some of these pictures there's just too many of them in a short amount of time. But interesting actresses cast against Elvis Presley, which which supports your theory. It's like yeah, he had this his character as written had this kind of harsh you know like you
0: gotta love me, I'm good looking you know kind of thing. But they wouldn't. He had to work for it. the yeah, jump through hoops exactly. Yeah, and. You know, like I was mentioning before, watching these movies again recently reminded me of just why I used to love and to some extent idolize the guy when I was a young teenager, even beyond the early rockabilly and rock and roll records that he did before the Army. Because for decades, okay, the drugged out Elvis, the Elvis Vegas, the, the film Elvis, whatever, that's been Elvis to me for years. Impersonators marrying folks and quickie drive through weddings, BJ Thomas balladeering, shooting light bulbs out of his pool, uh, eating Thomas. boxes of dream sickles in his bed with a bowl bounce on his belly. You know, the Elvis of. David Adler's Life and Cuisine of Elvis Presley, of Albert Goldman's Elvis, where we learned about things like the UFO obsession.
1: Oh, I remember that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You know, having sex with his underwear on. Elvis is the weird backwards good old boy, but watching these films again. (laughs) (laughs) But watching these films again. You take them off. You gotta take them off. For all their cheese... (laughs) reminded me, at least in the better of them, just how cool the guy could be. I mean, how seemingly self-assured he was, how unafraid he was to throw down in a fight or take a challenge, usually for some sort of high-speed race by land or sea. And honestly, how good-looking the guy was doing it. I mean, put him in a tuxedo or a leather jacket, beach surfer clothes, cheesy lounge outfits. The guy always stands out in the crowd. And his yeah, singing, I, his movements, even his acting, put him several levels the, above. You don't need
1: bombs to understand that the downfall and the eventual death of Elvis Presley was caused by Elvis Presley surrounding himself with people to take care of things to the point where they stopped taking care of him. Yep. And and you know what? Yeah, I will say this to this day. You know, and this goes out to anybody who ever listens to our show. This is totally non related. You surround yourself with friends, good friends, and you pay them to take care of you. That's a problem. That's a problem because they're not going to take care of you. Yep. And that's what happened with Elvis. He wanted drugs. They gave him drugs. <laughs> you know, he wanted to eat. to let him eat. You know, he did not have
0: what somebody like that needs you mentioned about how he stands above his competitors in the music field he even stands out and holds his own against some old hollywood a-list talent like for example barbara Stanwyck and roustabout and that's not something you could do with you mentioned like fabian or you know whatever nowadays like the kids in one direction or something and above all not all of them and i can certainly do it all that shit about kids we were talking about earlier but elvis movies at their best or even second best are fun they occupy the same stupid, safe world the Archie comics or the Dolby Gillis TV series, yeah. where one or two exceptions aside, nothing all that terrible ever happens. I mean, there's always a challenge to earn enough money to buy a boat or a race car engine or pay for repairs on a guitar or a motorcycle. A girl gets his attention, a slicker, richer, or older or more continental rival, a fight, a race, several songs. And by the help of his friends and sheer grit and determination, or what my father used to refer to as stick-to-itiveness, he gets a happy ending. They're safe. They're an escape from day-to-day bullshit we have to deal with. And that's why all this other stuff we mentioned aside, these films should be preserved and enjoyed as an important part of the American cultural heritage and psyche. That said, he starts off being before he went to the army with a couple of serious films. Love me Tender is just a Western and it's not even worth talking about him. Oh, wait, 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 wait. wait. Ah, see, there you go. <laughs> Actually,
1: love love me. <laughs> Actually, no, Love Me Tender is, is, like, his first movie. Yes, proper. Uh, Elvis dies in it. Oh, no, you gave it away. Well, look, uh, come on, man. It's, like, a 1956 movie. It's, star- it's actually starred Rich Egan, who was this kind of burly, brusque guy. He actually wasn't a bad actor. He just did not get his his due in some movies. And Deborah Padgett was in it. Uh, You know, it's another thing, a sexy actress who something must have been going on. She never got her due either. Elvis was third billed in this. Yes. It's sort of like we've seen this a lot, especially, you know, all our fans who are into spaghetti westerns and and the like. And American westerns, forgive me. The guy comes back from the war, the Civil War, and he finds his like what he considers his younger, near-to-do-well brother. He's actually got his, his... girlfriend, and, you know, there's, like, stuff going on there, and there's shit going on, you know, Calvary Man, Union, Confederates. It's not done by an auteur, film uh, film director, Robert D. Webb. I'm sure he probably did a lot of television, I'm sure he did a lot of B-movies. But for Elvis's first movie, it's not horrible. I, I think one of the weird things about this is that Elvis dies in the film, uh, actually before the credits roll. Yeah. And what did you because of Elvis's popularity? <laughs> you, you recall this is they roll this it's not a silhouette. But they roll a film of Elvis singing "Love Me Tender over a gravestone. Yes. Is, is that it right? Yep uh, near the credits or over the credits, right before the credits as you know or uh, they're, they're about to roll. Yeah, they knew his popularity. They probably figured what I think happened is they probably tested this picture. And it didn't play well when Elvis Presley died. It's his first movie and the guy's getting very popular in nineteen fifty six. It's a Fox movie by the way, people. I know you don't love it. I just wanted to get this out of the way that I'm assuming there's probably a lot of books. God knows there's a lot of books about these things. I'm assuming they tested this and they probably said, Oh, let's go back and shoot this or add this in which is this weird thing, you know, like I was just doing Let Me Tender over, you know, the credits and the other credits in this movie. Other people in this movie should be noted as William Campbell, Dick Sargent. Yeah. <laughs> James Drury, Neville Brand. Neville Brand, yes. LQ Jones, Ken Clark, who could not get a break in America, eventually went to Italy.
0: Yes. And Dick Sargent, Bewitched. Yep. Is that a great film? It's an American Western, and honestly, unless you're talking about The Magnificent Seven, that says it all right there.
1: Uh-huh.
0: I'm a spaghetti Western guy. I will not watch American Western. I'm Nations. a spaghetti Western
1: guy, too, but. You know, it's, it's okay-ish. It's weak. There are some good American Westerns, pre-Italian stuff, but it's, you know,
0: so we move to the next year, but loving you. Yes, and actually, if you notice, his films before he goes to the military are all based off of existing Elvis song titles. True, uh, yes. So here we get Loving You, How fellow Hal Cantner directs it, who, who knows who the hell he is. It's still one of the early serious Elvis films. I actually remembered liking this one somewhat, despite his being paired with 40's b lister Elizabeth Scott as a love interest, if you can believe that. It's like Elvis is hot for his mom and Loving You, uh, but it's never been on DVD, or if it was, it hasn't been available since the dawn of the medium, so it's just really old memory. For me, he does a lot of songs in this one. You know, unlike the other one, where he's just got that one track. He does got a lot of living to do. Let's have a party. Let me be your teddy bear. Hot dog, lonesome cowboy, mean woman blues, and loving you. About half of which were actual hits for him.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, you have Wendell Curry whose career kind of fucking tanked really bad. He ended up in the Ted B. Michael movies <laughs> at some point. Uh, Elizabeth Scott, who's this husky? I can't think for a husky voice. There's not a lot. Of- a husky voice Suzanne shit. <laughs> no, 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 no She did nothing <laughs> Zero uh, No, Elizabeth eh. Scott This is like this husky voice Blonde brunette Who knows I never got to experience her So I can tell you the truth um, <laughs> You say that <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> So uh, Well, it was true uh, uh, She went over to do Hammer pictures Yes the, Hamm- the You know, before the Horror films Right, the the yep. in the mysteries Yep Yeah, the Hammer mysteries and Really interesting link up there It's funny that you, you, you Keyed into that thing Yeah, she looks a little older mm-hmm. and
0: and, Speaking and, of old, you know who's in this one? Madge Blake, Aunt Harriet from Batman <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're, we're not going here It's not that kind of world. But <laughs> uh,
1: But uh, uh, <laughs> What you did that. I don't know where to go with
0: that. So, next up, I, uh, same year. Yes. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Do you have more on it?
1: No, I do. Okay. <laughs>
0: same year he does Jailhouse Rock for a fellow named Richard Thorpe God knows who he is nobody's really in this except for Glenn Strange who was one of the Frankensteins one of the speeches Frankensteins and God Knows Me House of Frankenstein or one of those later Universal ones it's another boring serious film notable mostly for some proto music videos or set pieces for several of Elvis' songs he's a jailbird who gets a reputation as a singer and then he manages to parlay that into a music and television career end of story it's like a TV movie or yeah, actually it's like a TV show from the era he does a bunch of songs I want to be free. Don't leave me now. Treat me nice. You're so square, baby. I don't care. So, again, a couple of hits in there. But there's really nothing much else to say about it other than people love it because of the name. Because, oh, yeah, I remember Elvis, John House Rock. And there are some what would be considered nowadays music videos you can pull out of it. Otherwise, it's inconsequential. Uh,
1: Yeah, and I agree. If this was done by an auteur or even a similar movie by a B-movie director, for sure... This would be like a fucking classic. I mean, there are elements in this that could have made this really, really much better. Elvis is a good boy gone bad. And, you know, he's jailed, and he hooks up with this guy, and you know the guy's a little acerbic, abrasive, and you know they write together, and then Elvis has a career. Elvis gets out. And the guy's kind of left behind Yep There's uh, Mickey Shaughnessy Is this fellow And so Yeah I can see that But some of the j Rock You know A couple of other things in there They're electric. Mike Stoller and Jerry Lieber Who were You know The Brill Building People Who wrote so many great songs With so many great people Back in those days All the way up Into the mid-60s I'm yeah. not even going to say Early 60s Mid-60s Daber like brought on say, You know Can you like Add some Cool songs this Elvis can sing, so I came up with a lot of stuff. And Mm -hmm. I don't know who, because I've forgotten. I probably did know, but I I probably have forgotten. Yeah, who who the the band was behind this? But some of the stuff was electric. Mm -hmm. But sadly, you 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 got this supporting cast kind of weak, and it it suffers. The song when the songs happen, they're electric. It's weird. It's sort of like it's sort of like watching watching a, a. A musical film that you like, and the songs are electric, and the dialogue it falls flat, and then it makes you misremember it. If yeah. that makes any sense to you people. Oh, I didn't like that movie. Then you might see it again in a little while. And you say, oh, I really liked that. Why did I say I did like that? But J House Rock is, is a victim of not the right director. A supporting cast they could probably have digged deeper for. But songs are, you know, for better or for worse, as far as I'm concerned, they're, they're hot songs. You know, not all of them, but most of them are hot songs. And... Uh, some one of the things that contributed to him becoming an
0: icon, uh, for better or worse. So next year he actually does a step up because he gets into King Creole, which has uh, none other than Michael Curtiz on it, which was an interesting choice. Again, I really don't care for the early serious Elvis films, but I did remember Elvis and King Creole right off the bat. It's kind of a boring attempt at a JD film with Elvis most pissed off and surly as a problem child on the edge of the law, forced to work crap jobs at local speakeasies because his father's an unemployed drunk, but after he defends a taxi dancer. Who's sort of a mob mom Who they later write up as a straight up hooker And guess who it is Morticia Adams With that really bad Beatles hairdo He <laughs> winds up falling into all kinds of deep shit Gets himself kicked out of school He's in dirty fights in alleyways He's eventually forced to sign on With an adversarial mobster to sing in his club He loses his girlfriend And a lot of self-respect along the way And then he gets double-crossed And beats the shit out of the mobster And thinks turn more serious <laughs> So, despite the lyrics to Trouble, where he talks of not taking orders from no kind of man, he seems awfully led along by the nose throughout the entire film. It's overly grim, depressing, and kind of boring. Not exactly what I consider an Elvis film, in terms of what where I'm talking about tonight in mm-hmm. general. Mm-hmm. But he does pull off a really convincing kid from the wrong side of the tracks. At least this is the point where they start making Elvis deliver new and original material, rather than just basing films and on and showcasing his already existing hit records. I mean, Trouble even got covered by Danzig, so it's a step up. It's not quite what I there almost yet, but it's, it's a decent movie for what it is.
1: Well, yeah, you, met, you mentioned Michael Curtis, and he did Captain Blood, one of our favorite movies. So. Interestingly, Michael Vigazzo did the screen, uh, worked on a screenplay with this. You know, and Michael Vigazzo was a uh, actor studio guy, you know, Lee Strasberg. Who's Michael Vigazzo? Michael Vigazzo was like in Godfather 2. This guy's like a theater Hardcore theater teacher For years and years So he must He goes way back And I believe They probably brought him in To add some I don't know Realistic dialogue to this uh, Who was Michael Bigazzo In Godfather 2 He was the Or three I guess Who can remember now He was like the guy With the burnt out voice Like hey I'm gonna do What you told you I'm gonna do <laughs> He was a theater teacher And I wonder if he Actually sat down Elvis And said you know we got to do something about this. Carolyn Jones is always an interesting person. to yes. put. This time period, you know, uh, you mentioned Morticia Adams, where, you know, we thought Goth was hot for the first time.
0: Oh, yeah. but Marsha Queen it, of Diamonds on Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. But it's funny because I don't know a lot about her. Really? Though, so I don't want to say much about her because I don't know anything about her personal life, but she's certainly an interesting character as a person. And so this is... That haircut doesn't do it I don't know what's going on with that And Walter Matthau In his pre-odd couple Career rejuvenation phase He's just like a nasty fucking prick As Walter Mathau was really good at playing In those days I didn't love this movie But I will
0: admit that Elvis did a pretty good job uh, In his fairly dramatic part Mm-hmm. so uh, next up is actually you notice there's a two year break because he went to the military so as soon as he got back they capitalized on it directly by putting him in what I consider the first real Elvis film which is G.I. Blues directed by basically the guy that made the Elvis film what it is Norman Taurog. Like I said, this one comes right after his discharge from the Army and comes with plenty of inside jokes and jabs at him being stationed in West Germany, where, as one of the song's notes, you see no action and you don't get a purple heart for fallen archers, and the first of many likely jabs at Elvis him Young after the whole thing with his 14-year-old future wife Priscilla while he was stationed there. It was much better than I remembered it. It's still a cheesy 50s war film slash comedy, in quotes, mostly knocking being in the army and on leave good-naturedly, and even with a weird serious note, one of the big player characters turns into a father to son the last time he did a tour of duty there, but it just turns into one of the first of many Elvis with kids bits, this time with a fucking baby. Ugh. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Julia Prowse. She's kind of odd-looking for one of the many Bardot wannabes, which include the likes of Elkie Summer, Jane Fonda, and Julie Christie, if you can believe that, but does have some of her pouting peccanese look. And is a reasonably sexy 50s-style lounge dancer, one step short of doing a Jess Franco-style strip show. I mean, she's big, but she's leggy, and despite her reputation as a real cold fish in the movie, seems pretty warm to Elvis throughout, almost from minute one. She's clearly bemused by him. At the least, funniest and most Elvis sequence, he takes part in a Punch and Judy puppet show singing Wooden Heart to the girl hand while getting smacked with a guy hand stick. It's hilariously stupid, but it's great to see in the show people out of context. Like if you're making a a loop video for clubs or something, pull that one out. It's great. Norman Turok, like I mentioned, would be the go-to director for Elvis films. And if you follow his career, 9 out of 10 of the quote true Elvis films that we remember and celebrate are actually under his aegis. The many stunt directors and in directors burning to fill the gaps just don't get it. And they wind up doing things like bad westerns, bad musicals, or films that just don't fit the pattern or work on any real level. In terms of songs, obviously you get G.I. Blues. Blue Suede Shoes pops up in it on a jukebox. Wooden Heart, I had mentioned. And the rest of it is kind of songs you've never heard again. Probably never want to. But it's not a bad film. It's the first real Elvis film.
1: Well, G.I. Blues is, I have to say, it's forgettable for me. But Juliet Prowse, you brought that up, that name. She's actually, you know, she was a Vegas showgirl. I think her one of her more successful roles was in the Euro spy movie, Kiss the Girls and Make Them Die, with Mike Connors, of all people, which is actually a really, really, really
0: good Euro spy film. Was that it, the one where the guy winds up running around in a bullfight ring, and they let the bull loose? I don't remember. I've seen so, so many Euro spies, I can't remember. I, I, I doubt <laughs> it, don't remember.
1: But, you know, her her... <laughs> She came up later on in years. I was reading a John Holmes biography. (laughs) Wow. Yes, people, stay tuned. Listen carefully now. Juliet Prowse was one of the people that John Holmes used to service pretty regularly. Because (laughs) they had a thing going on. And and it was more than just like a thing. It was like they liked each other. But this would have made this, we're talking about 83, 82, 81. Yeah, so this would have made her uh <clears throat> older and uh, so, you know a little older than that but uh interesting so yeah yeah it's in it's in print so you can't blame me so uh interesting yeah and it's funny how you said she warmed to Elvis I I tend to think from what I've been able to ascertain that she was a sugar got around so uh Probably she warmed to him in real life. Who knows? <laughs> it's not a great movie. I understand no. the Norman Taurog thing. Yeah, I don't know what happened. He he, his movies for Elvis with Elvis seem to have worked and been easy, smooth, symmetrical to a way where they didn't upset like the world universe that they were they were creating. And Hal B. Wallace was involved, you know, producer yeah. of most of these pictures. I just thought it was an okay movie. <laughs>
0: that's about it for me yeah so almost immediately after this they don't know what to do with Elvis again so they throw him back another crappy western flaming star directed by Don Siegel there's really nothing to say about this Dolores Del Rio pops up in it Steve Forrest one of the Hercules pops up in this Barbara Eden's in it oh boy whatever I guess if you're a genie fan, and LQ Jones from the Witchmaker and Brotherhood of Satan pops up in it there's not even any songs worth noting in it Okay, Flaming Star, whatever It's just, eh, it's totally forgettable
1: Well, uh Yeah, this is one of those You know, Don Siegel, everybody loves Don Siegel you know, So at least they had an auteur Brought in for this picture Somebody had a little bit of like Ulf In the directorial thing And it wasn't produced by Hal B. Walls Which is interesting to me And it's a Fox picture, which is outside of the usual realm for, for Elvis. I'm not sure if they decided to try something different or what. Barbara Eden's stiff. She's stiff. She's stiff. She's always stiff. You know, yeah. it's, she never were You know, you mentioned the other people uh, in this cast. Good, you know, good cast. A good supporting cast. It's like the first thing. It's like Love Me Tender. It's, you know. Yes. Very much so. It's very much so like that. A little more jaunty. You know, the few songs we get are a little bit more jaunty. But it's Elvis in the Western Main it just doesn't. It doesn't work. It Never doesn't does. work, and you think it would, considering the country boy background, you know, origins, yep. and such.
0: But he's more country boy with a pickup and, you know, like Grease Monkey, you know, yes whatever, yes. as opposed to I'm going to ride a horse and cowboy type thing. It's, that's very different. Yeah, you know? he rides a horse well. So, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> next up, Wild in the Country. Now, you had kind of given this a lead in already. Yes. And what I said, though, was, and another one, sort of. This one's more about Tuesday Wells' real life mental problems sort of. <laughs> She's a hot to trot juvenile delinquent and Elvis is pulling a full-on rebel without a cause badly. Apparently he's been in and out of jail and he has to see old Hope Lang, and I do mean old. Uh, who is a probation officer come social worker who takes more interest in him than she should. He gets into fights. He may have knocked up one of the girls he stays with. John Ireland is wander around. Who knows? It's boring as shit and overly serious. And people make fun of his later, astronomically more entertaining films, but are okay with a piece of shit like this. Basically, the only reason you're watching this, if you are watching this, is either you're really into Elvis as a JD, or you're really into Tuesday Weld, and I can't blame you for that. <laughs> so what's your take? <laughs> oh, you didn't like it. No, I really so,
1: <laughs> didn't like it. <laughs> Actually, I really, yeah, the the screenplay is by Clifford Odets, famous playwright for stuff I don't want to bother looking up. It's got an interesting cast of, of women. You got Hope Lang, who you mentioned, Ghost and Mrs. Muir with yes. uh,
0: Rex Harrison, wasn't it? Mm, well, no, it was who the hell was that guy? Oh, oh the Rex Harrison, other guy. Uh, Irish name, but I can't remember it right now. Something O'Brien... Uh,
1: Wilson, Harrison. I was it, Max Anderson? I don't remember at this point. So, yeah. Tuesday, well... And Millie Perkins, who, from the burnout... I'll do anything for a dollar. Uh, <laughs> the Witch from the Sea. Uh, yes.
0: Oh, wow. Yes, that's a good one. That's a
1: sick movie.
0: I don't know that's timber. <laughs> yeah, wow. Watch I like that this. movie, but it's twisted. Yeah.
1: It's twisted. I don't know if I like it. I watched it twice. I was like, I don't love what this... So, you got all three kind of, like, odd people in this movie. And Elvis really sings, uh, if he does at all, oh, I can't remember. In a couple songs, yeah. He he's, plays a burnt-out writer. <gasps> yes. And he plays the guy with Issues. And, yeah, mm. you mentioned Hope Lang is like, yeah, he's more attracted to hers. At this point, she would be, like, the milfy kind of thing. It ends with him going to college to becoming a writer. I'm sure not what Elvis fans wanted. This is one of the few Elvis movies you don't hear that much about. It's got a lot of people on credit. Jason Robards is mm. a judge. Pat Boutreau, I remember him from Green Acres. He's in yep. this thing. And Gary Lockwood from a field starting career is anybody in anything. <laughs> but, you know, John Ireland's in this. You know, and we, we, we love John because he tried for... Decades before he gave up (laughs) It's an Interesting picture because This is that 61 this is that James Dean Time and yes I give it Kudos because it's like Yeah it's not successful But in a way it's
0: the one movie In this time frame They try to do something different with Elvis. Yeah. So, next up, we get back to the real deal with Norm (laughs) Tarrar for Blue Hawaii. It's definitely an Elvis movie, but you would think this was the first one, not G.I. Blue's. It has a lot of the tropes and feel, but something's off about it. I mean, the series clearly hadn't found its footing yet and how to properly work Elvis's character into this new, lighter-hearted plots and vibe that goes on. A few ridiculous songs, uh, like Almost Always True to You, Rock Hula Baby, Edo Eats, and including one of his famous Can't Pin Me Down, I'm Gonna Fuck Around tracks, like I just mentioned, that would become a regular part of the series, one genuine classic, which is Can't Help Falling in Love, and two washed-up old Hollywood types as the only really likable cast members outside Elvis himself, John Archer, who is one of the Shadows on radio, and Roland Winters, who was Charlie Chan, one of the Charlie Chans. Actually, Angela Lansbury's a pain in the ass, and it's that good standard. Trying to play an old Southern Belle. It's way too much of a tourist video for Hawaii. His goofy native boy pals camp it up to the extreme. The girl is on the ass end of a scale of blood a-hurtin'. Nice forehead and do there, Maggie Thatcher. And fucking Mrs. Fletcher, Maimon Sweeney Todd's pal herself, Angela Lansbury, delivers the worst caricature of an old plantation-owning Southern Belle, complete with extreme racism towards the Hawaiians, mind you, ever Committed to celluloid post Tara. It has a few scattered moments, and Elvis is starting to show his more likable, less surly JD character for sure, but you're kind of on shaky ground here overall. I have to agree with you. I
1: I remember it, I saw it. It's unmemorable for many reasons.
0: People love it, but it's really not up to its reputation. What's like the next picture, which I thought would have been better? Oh, the next picture follow that dream oof gordon douglas does this one simon oakland's in it Colchak's boss roland winders once again and helm but what i said was whew, you know you're in trouble when the film starts off with elvis and kids this time two brat rollers who have to run off and take a piss in some local building we even get to see one stop and remember to zip up his fly yeah Elvis is part of yet another hellishly annoying family of hicks and a beat-up old Archie Jalopy with a buddy Epsom trite dropping weird, obnoxious sub-Uncle Jesse platitudes about the government and how living on the food stamps makes him codependent. I'm not part of the general public. The government needs and loves me. boy. Apparently, you know they're MAGA hat wearers, apparently they're homesteaders driving through a Herschel Gordon Lewis era, Florida, and they make a point of the ugly sister not being blood kin so she can be the supposed love interest. Uh, Elvis tooks more like a hick than usual. They build a Gilligan's Island-style palm-front fort on a random beach to live in, which magically turns into a proper house a few scenes later, mind. They dig for water in beach sand using an empty Coke bottle, and a grumpy official tries to take away their welfare and cite a bunch of health and zoning violations on their makeshift, quote, new home. Colchak's boss, Simon Oakland, shows up as a mobster who runs a mobile gambling hall out of a trailer home. And when the Charlie Chance, Roland Winters, makes his second and last Elvis film cameo as the judge, it's a real piece of shit on so many levels. It makes Kissing Cousins look like a work of art by comparison. <laughs> so, what's your take? Well, uh,
1: I didn't dislike this one as much as you did, but I felt it wasn't a great
0: movie. All right, so, 1962, Kid Galahad, another outsider director, something something, Phil Carlson. Elvis is a boxer, one of his last serious films. This feels like an anomaly, coming as late as it does in his post-Army career. Really nothing else to say about it. No big hit singles, nothing. Well, it's directed by, it's odd, odd that
1: it's the top grossing picture of 60 Joe. Phil Carlson of Robot Monster famous attack wow. so I didn't realize yeah. that was him. <laughs> it was him. The
0: roman, okay.
1: And then we got like Lola Arbright in this, Gig Young before he died of alcoholism. Charles Bronson's in this thing. Yes. So uh, small time boxer, well cute Charles Bronson's appearance, you know. Some people say it's one of Elvis Presley's best pictures. I I don't Rocky. <laughs> well, no, but, you know, Ed Asner's in his thing as Ed Asner. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, that's the thing, you know. It's, it's, I saw that appear in the last few years, like a Joe Smith place. Joe Smith. You know, There's a lot of people that just, like, they keep playing themselves. I thought it was a key. It's not
0: memorable, but Elvis does a fine job if we could say that so much better is 1962 same year. girls 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 once again Norman Turrock Stella Stevens is in this one and a lot of Asians which is interesting this is actually one of the better Elvis films naturally it's another Norman Turrock here Elvis is a fisherman trying to buy the houseboat he lives on while romancing a poor little rich girl who actually digs him and wants to help the problems are his troublesome jazz singer ex who's really obnoxious as Stella Stevens and the drunken sleazy entrepreneur who buys out the boat and business he works on for him. He's got the first of at least two Asian families who adopt him as a de facto son in these films, and another Greek family who's also adopted him, but it's the former who helps him in his little romance. There's a weirdly creepy sexual harassment sequence between the drunk and his new girlfriend, but in the end, Elvis saves the day. Girls, Girls, Girls is one of the best songs in there, and Return to Sender. The rest of them are kind of forgettable, but it really is a good film. I do enjoy this one a lot.
1: It's, a, it's an enjoyable movie, yeah. The, those two songs you, you mentioned were two of the best songs in the picture. When Norman Taroq directed and Hal B. Wallace was producing, it sort of upped the ante in terms of production values, that's for yes. sure. Yeah. Uh, these pictures look like gold, I mean, compared to, like, the ongoing, and, yeah, we're not going to knock, successful beach beach party movies, which started a couple of years later these Torag Wallace productions look really, really good, and yeah. uh, you know, Stella Stevens look good, you know it's, it's campy fun, return to senders on this one, so, you know I think this is
0: followed by a a lesser movie, though. Yes, it is. We should do the beach party movie someday. I was just thinking about, the, what was it, Doodlebug? That was the best Beatles impression I've ever seen for Frankie Avalon. Right, yeah, so <laughs> uh, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, and I'm serious about that. He actually did a good job, uh, even though it was supposed to be all long fun. 1963 was, It happens at the World's Fair, which isn't Norman Turok, but, yeah, not as good. Well... And I said, wow, this one I have much better memories of. You know why? Because I blocked out everything past the first 15 or 20 minutes, wherein he pays a visit to a sexy pre backerly Yvonne Craig, and woos her with the sleazy, relax, a male perspective fever knockoff, if there ever was one. He flies a plane in a crop-dusting business with yet another questionable partner, this time Gary Lockwood, but they get their plane confiscated for back taxes or some shit, where they owe somebody some money, so he winds up pitching a ride on a beat-up old pickup truck with a friendly Chinese guy and his niece, and here's where everything goes very, very wrong, because the entire rest of the film, it's Elvis and this kid on one long date that involves multiple trips to the World Fair, and the kid living with the two guys while her uncle vanishes entirely. There's a spoken line towards the end explaining it, but we never see that guy again. Dyfus comes after them, literally. Elvis pretends to be sick to get in the pants of a nasty old lady nurse. But 90% of the running time after the plane gets confiscated is Elvis, quote, romancing this child. It's fucking weird and uncomfortable, not to mention eye-rolling ridiculous. It's a rare, a very rare Turok clunker, despite that Craig sequence, which is excellent. The only good song in this one really is Relax. So.
1: Uh, I, I sort of have to say I, I agree with you. We have, like, after this, we have about another two pictures, but sort of seemingly coasting. Yeah. for a while. Although you know, we we have little ups and downs. Yeah, you know, Ursula Andros is in the next one. Yes. So that's that's a good thing. Plus a hit, an unusual hit, a Boston Nova baby. Yes. In the next picture, but this movie, it's a lesser Elvis. Not not on his part. I would say I, I think he was committed. Yeah. Not to not to an asylum. No, I think he was committed to the film. I, I think he he did his best. It's just something you know. When you make, as you said on the outset When you make so many pictures You know, maybe more than one a year It just just comes to a point where Blah, 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 but We actually have the emergence Of Beatlemania coming around this point Yes So, I think this is a lot to do With how we're reacting To these things When, then, and now Because 1961-62 is the emergence Of the British invasion Yes. And the world changed
0: Oh, yeah and then
1: we have Elvis Presley.
0: <laughs> who doesn't change. <laughs> right. So next up is fun in Acapulco. Again, this guy Richard Thorpe. I don't know who the hell he is. Ursula Andress is in it. Alejandro Rey is in it. Didn't get enough of Elvis with kids. And should we amend that to ethnic kids after it happened at the World's Fair? Then you're in luck because here he spends the entire film with a pushy, quote, business partner who's actually a seven or eight year old Mexican kid. We went to Tijuana once, when I was younger, and these kids would actually run up to you, more or less hang on you, and tug at your clothes trying to get you to buy crap. Well, that's exactly what happens here, only Elvis lets him stick around and get him jobs singing and shit. Seriously, that's the plot. The plot hook involves some business about his being afraid to dive, so of course his manhood winds up getting challenged like a school kid by the local Spanish slickster, which means Elvis does some insane cliff diving towards the end. Uh, yay? Eventually, after about 20 repeat performances of Viva El Vino, Viva El Dinero, Viva Viva El Amor Seriously, they do this like 25 fucking times in the movie Ursula Andrews shows up But I'll be honest with you, every single time I've watched this film my entire life So it has to be at least 6 or 8 times by now Given all the TV, VHS, and DVD viewings over the years I get bored, I get distracted I wind up doing something else So It doesn't say a fuck of a lot for Andrews' sex appeal Or a performance here, or the film itself I don't even remember how it ends I'm serious about this There's no room to rumble in a sports car and bossing over baby Or the hits here The rest of it is like, yeah, whatever You don't
1: remember Elsa Cardenas
0: in this? Uh, No, not at all
1: She was the the uh, co-star Oh, she
0: was the one that was pissed off Because he was interested in Andrews Yeah, okay, yeah Right, right. And she was, it's
1: interesting because she was a Mexican actress who only made about six movies in her career, the last being The Wild Bunch before she resurfaced in a telenovela like 10 years ago. She claims to have had a love affair with Elvis during this movie. And she's actually, bat for bat, you know, a hottie with Ursula. So if we're going to look at it from that standpoint, it's I'll worth watching.
0: That. Yeah, definitely. But. Other than that, it's eh, a lesser uh, Elvis movie. It is. So, um, speaking of lesser Elvis movies, 1964, Case and Cousins, directed by a someone named Gene Nelson. Torchy Blaine shows up in this one. Glinda Farrell, unrecognizable, of course. Yvonne Craig pops up in it again, which is nice to see. Beverly Powers, the one we were laughing about, Beverly Hills from Brides of Blood, when we did our show on the Filipino horror films. She's in this damn thing. Basically, Lil Abner compete with a wrestling Daisy May style female and rollers named Mammy and Pappy, but this time they're Tatum, not Yoakum, with a hint of the Dukes of Hazzard, but none of that shows down home charm. Nope, this is all 60s day sitcom bullshit, complete with Mario Bava slash Dario Gentle style gel lighting to punctuate a lame, quote, joke when the army guy gets sick after hearing what he just ate. Yes, they actually turn the screen green when he does this. Uh, oh, you ate some possum and then the screen girl's green. There's some nonsense about the army wanting to build a missile base on a southern mountain, and they recruit Elvis as the main ambassador because he's distantly related to the dumb barefoot cracker homesteaders who live up there. The only thing missing is a still and making moonshine. Elvis even gets to play a dual role really badly, I might add, due to the of split-screen. It's sad, but Shatner did a better job in White Comanche. The only thing this film has going for it, beyond its sheer crappiness, which is complete and utter in every sense of the word, is Batgirl, Yvonne Craig, running around all slow-eyed in French. Unbelievably... Torchy Blaine and the co-star of several amusing films pair with Joan Blondell, has gotten old and scary enough to play Mama Yoakum. You also get to see just how lucky Elvis was to work the rockabilly thing into a career in rock films and biggest schmaltz, because he sure as fuck can't sing country, as proved by his horrendous performance of the quote barefoot ballad. Bottom Feeder Elvis so bad it's actually fascinating, like watching a train wreck with human lives being snuffed out right before your eyes. You know you should turn away and move on, but you can't seem to stop watching in disbelief. That's all I gotta say about this piece of crap.
1: <laughs> yeah it's well here's the thing it's it's after a couple of movies produced by uh Halby Wallace who was I think I said not too long ago a few minutes ago you know gave like really aidless production values. this is Sam Katzman produced this one
0: wow and a giant claw yes yes <laughs> so
1: yo know, think production values leave a lot to be desired uh <laughs> Even the posters for these things look shitty.
0: No, Sam Kassman? Nah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we We really Bottom have a, an oddball cast for this picture where the, the male supporting cast guys are so more well-known than the females. So Arthur yes. O'Connell, or Arthur C. O'Connell, uh, Jack Alberts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, it's it's yeah, uh, you know, not to slight these guys. They were really... When we grew up they were on TV all the time and various things and, and they
0: were character actors yeah character actors.
1: yes uh there was not really a strong Vaughn Gregg is the strongest we could pull from this mm-hmm. and uh it just was like a, a yeish kind of movie like wow really this is like
0: after doing a couple of interesting movies but he rebounds with the next one Yes, the same year he does Viva Las Vegas, again directed by some nobody, George Sidney. Tony Basil is in this film, stands there smacking her own wiggling ass repeatedly as a dancer in red dress during what did I say? And you liked it. Well, of course. Hey, I'm not going to complain about Tony Basil smacking her own ass But Regina Carroll The Al Adamson wife and regular from his films Is also in it as a showgirl Terry Garr is in it as a showgirl Beverly Powers pops up once again As a showgirl And of course Anne Margaret Now It just goes to show how much times have changed, because I used to love this movie, and I think that Ann-Margaret is fucking hot. Like, wow, here's a girl who's a match for Elvis, and I'd love to find myself a fighter like that, a girl with actual spirit. I did, but hey, the women back in those days, at least outside the more marginalized subcultures like goth-punk and the more rough-and-tumble, are you in a band? Think of the hard-written metal chick. We're pretty squishy. I mean, you couldn't really be yourself around them, they always demanded that you grow up and act mature, most pointedly, that you dress just right, drove the right car. I actually worked with them, went after a girl who wanted to know what year and model of Camaro I drove, because she only liked the IROC, that's a true story. And bottom line, somehow had money to quote treat them right. It was bizarre for teenagers. I can't speak the decades prior or since, but it was rough and strange back then. I had more women tell me you're weird when they found out my interest in music or film, whether it's the art house high stuff or the cult low stuff or world culture. And that kid or remember, they were extremely one note culturally speaking. I mean, maybe it was just an East Coast thing, but it was. So mm-hmm. I found myself when I saw this film drawn like a magnet. To women who are tougher than the usual who could give as good as they can get in a war of wills women of greater intelligence if not culture so okay in 2018 i revisit this film and ann margaret's behavior performance weird noises and the way she treats elvis throughout both in body language check out the dance sequence where she keeps stepping over him action the whole film and in song the lady loves me for one And I can't imagine what the fuck I ever saw in her or this film of appeal. She's horrible, except as gorgeous eye candy. She makes me wish for a submissive woman. Who the hell wants that much of a challenge? Particularly when she violates rule number one. Quote, women marry men hoping they'll totally change them. Men marry women hoping they'll never change. And this is very, very true of human relationships like those girls I was talking about earlier. All she wants is her way or the highway. Who the fuck needs it? Ball her and kick her out before dawn. Not to mention, she's a (laughs) no-talent. Check out those terrible dance numbers. Julia Prowse, at least had 50s nightclub-style sub-strip show dance moves. Or her perfectly awful Marilyn Monroe-level singing. And wasn't she one of those Mary Lou Hanna types who slept with everyone in Hollywood? How dare this girl make demands on everyone? I watched this film a month or so back, and I'm like, holy shit. Why did I like her? Am I crazy? I can't stand her. So watching this film again was like, wow, my opinion changed dramatically. Best songs in this thing: "The Lady Loves Me" and "Come On Everybody." The rest of it, eh? It's a musical. That's the bottom line. It's it's a musical rather than a film, and she's really hard to take. So. Uh,
1: I'll see Anne Margaret and anything. She was fine. In this I don't know. You you have a thing. but <laughs> what whatever. <I found. laughs> It's a musical, yeah. All the, all the names you noted are in this and supporting roles, and it's it's a time capsule for that. What I found really interesting that the choreographer for this, who was also a choreographer on West Side Story, and not Bob Fosse, was one David E. Winters. Who the hell's that? Well, he's a guy that went on years later to Put together Action International Pictures and had a production company with David A. Pryor and his no-talent bodybuilder brother, Ted Pryor. Do you remember these guys? Yes, I do. Slay cameras, stuff like that. Yep. Yeah, Deadly Prey, Aerobicide, Man yeah, Killers, Death Squad. Yeah. Almost unwatchable film.
0: Man Killers. Killers is awful. Yes.
1: Uh, he then commenced a near ret- nearly retired after he just started getting into movies. Robert Ginty, to return into co ventures shot in South Africa because nobody else would watch it. <laughs> um, so David E. Winters, who. I hooked up a Caroline Monroe at some point in his terrible career. Huh? Also, did one of the last, before he stopped drinking for like a minute, all the <laughs> pictures Rage to kill. That Remember that thing? It was terrible. Yeah. And then they'll you know, go on to do like, it's almost everybody's worst movie in their career F- <laughs> Future Zone with David Carradine. Yeah, Who the hell remembers that? <laughs> Fatal Skies with Timothy Leary. You mean you stop doing drugs, for me. <laughs> Firehead with Martin Landau. Wow, Christopher Plummer. Christopher Plummer. Jan Michael Vincent. Well, it might have been one of his highlights. <laughs> um, Come on, the mechanic. Well, no, it, and and <sighs> I was being... I know. <laughs> he does a lot it, of bad but, movies. <laughs> it's just like, and this guy's still working. It's just bizarre, and and like. Recently, he did this thing, I don't know where, where it's existing in the world, and the universe. Oh, yes. He works in Panama City, Florida now. <clears throat> Doing So You Think You Can Dance. Oh, my God. So, yes, the choreographer of West Side Story went and did cheesy B-movies in the 90s and <laughs> 80s and early 2000s as whatever and hooked up with lots of slumming or I really need work kind of people. I
0: wouldn't even call those B movies; They're like C minus movies.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. I tried to teach these people how to dance. So uh <laughs> that was a roundabout thing. I did an okay version. You
0: you dislike this film immensely more than I do. It was more for Aunt Margaret because she's so. I mean, I remembered her being much sexier, and I'm like. Oh, my God, she's horrible. Well, yeah, well that's, that goes for a lot of people, but it's life. Yeah, that's true. But it gets worse with the next picture. Yes, uh, so next time around, <laughs> this is actually a good one, though, uh, roused about. Elvis is in this with, of all people, Barbara Stanwyck. Billy Barty's in it, and Terry Garr, and Mariana Hill from Messiah of Evil Schizoid, and The Price is Right is in it, as well as Richard Keel alongside Girl Happy, Easy Come, Easy Go, Tickle Me, and Spin Out, I consider this one of the all-time best Elvis films, to be honest with you. Elvis is a traveling singer with a major fucking chip on his shoulder. He really, really hates frat boys, something we share in common. He's a tough guy loner in a leather jacket, something we share in common, and a musician, something we share in common, and makes a point of fucking with those he considers assholes whenever he gets the chance, something we share in common. The film's barely started when he takes the stage to bait his college boy audience with a rousing performance of Poison Ivy League, one of the nastiest put-downs ever penned in a film of this era. One song in, the guy started a huge fight, he's on the run for the cops, who are already tailing around as something of a problem child, and Mark, and I've been there, I have stories. So he heads out on the road, sings the title song, and tries to pick up an interested girl in the convertible. The problem is, the car's driven by her nasty old drunk of a father, who decides to run Elvis and his motorcycle off the road, wrecking it. The wife, none other than Barbara Stanwick, mind, <laughs> offers to get it repaired and to give him a job at her traveling carny in the meantime, so he has a place to stay while it's happening. He gets some shit from a few of the carnies, he has problems with both wooing the girl and ducking punches from the drunk, but he winds up drawing the crowds as a singer and starting to like the life a little, or at least fit in with all these rootless misfits and their de facto family more than expected. Of course there's problems. Beyond his distrust and bad attitude and the issues with the adversarial drunk and his would-be girlfriend, there's issues with drunken attendees, which means another fight for Elvis, and the whole thing where the drunk winds up blamed for a lost wallet and gets a night in jail, a lecherous gypsy who wants to get in his pants, causing yet another misunderstanding, and worst of all, a greedy carnival magnate who sees what he's doing for their carnival and pays him a lot more to do a bigger, tackier stage show in his. In the end, Elvis, quote, does the right thing and all works out. It's a totally typical Elvis film, totally excellent to be honest with you, and says the right thing about family. You know, the one you're born into really isn't important. In the end, you choose to make your own family in life. Ones I like in this film a lot are *Poison Ivy League* and *Hard Knocks*. But you know, you get to the title track as well. It's really—it's this prototypical Elvis film, if nothing else. I didn't like it as much as you do, but I don't want like, to—I don't want to dish you, man. You <laughs> Go for it. Say <laughs>
1: what you gotta say. It's okay. I thought it was okay, but yo, know, sometimes. You see something, and it speaks to you, and, and it works for you. I get that. And I don't knock anybody for doing that, unless it's people who do, like, uh, Blu-ray and DVD commentaries who've never seen the movie <laughs> and don't know who the hell is who. But I'm not saying names. Yeah. But in any case, and apparently, I, I'm hated across the Internet for this now, speaking my mind. But, uh, yeah, 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 I see. I see who's my friends and who's not my friends. Mm. Anyway, it's an interesting cast. Uh, Raquel Walsh uh, is in a pop up thing as a college girl. She's not a college girl, she just passes by. And Kent kept McCord from, um, what was that TV show? Adam 5, yeah. Adam 6, Adam 12. <laughs> Adam 12, yeah. He's in it. Uh, Terry Gar is also like, hey, look, there she goes again. And Joy Harmon of the incredibly busty other movies she did. So there's a lot of familiar faces that kind of flip by, but I don't know. It's It totally, it spoke to you. I thought it was like, eh, it's okay.
0: Well, you know, as you can see from what I said, it, a lot of bells rung. Personally, there's a lot of commonality. Yeah. So, well, that, that's you know, just, just that nice. doesn't mean that it's a good film. I mean, if you don't like it, you don't like it. That's some good no, thing I, didn't say it. I disliked it. I just said like I can't remember anything from it. <laughs> <laughs> so next up, you know, this girl happy, which is another one of my favorites. Gary Crosby, Bing's beating victim slash son, and Les Tremaine, the questionable nambla mentor from Shazam, shows up as the opening narrator and. She Kelly Fabaris, who actually was Elvis' favorite co-star. He said that many times. It's another surprise pinch hitter of a director, though. It wasn't actually Norman Taurog, A fellow named Boris Segal. This guy bats a home run. This time, Elvis and his combo, which includes Ben Crosby's beating victim-slash-son Gary, who shares his weird looks but none of his talent, leaves their gig at one Chicago or Big City nightclub to do a yearly run during spring break at another club in Fort Lauderdale. They do this every year and look forward to it as a good time to get laid as well as paid. But this time, that Chicago-type manager, who's a big-hearted mobster named Big Frank, <laughs> yeah, you get the inference there, decides to kill two birds with one stone, assigning Elvis to keep watch on his librarian-type daughter when she goes on her first trip down there with the girls. He's terrified but <laughs> she'll wind up pregnant or whatever because she's still kept from the world in his mind. Of course, when she gets down there, she's far from a wilting butterfly. What makes it tough on Elvis and his pals, particularly when it comes to his, quote, exotic Spanish scorer, Marianne Mobley, how Spanish can you get? He winds up falling for her, but of course that's when she finds out that he was assigned to watch over her, so she figures it's all fake. The same shtick as G.I. Blues all over again with gusto. This sends her on a drunken spree, stripping and making chaos, eventually winding up in jail. This is an attempt to break to get her out, Elvis in Drag, and some really great proper Elvis songs. Some of these movies do have ones among all the usual detritus that are more authentic to his pre filming career, and this is one of them. And of course, Elvis gets the girl in the end. It's great stuff. It may actually be my favorite of all the Elvis films. You get Do the Clam, which is just hilarious, mm-hmm. Girl Happy, Spring Fever, Wolf Call. Fort Lauderdale Chamber of Commerce is cute The meanest girl in town is great I actually have, um, we have a pen She goes around holding up a stick that says she's evil every time <laughs> So I, I made this thing for my wife for a laugh And every time we watch the movie, she holds the stick up I mean, <laughs> It's just a fun film I, I really do like this film
1: Well, we, we spoke favorably of Marianne Mobley And we had our Mission Impossible uh, TV and movie show Oh, I do no problem with this. She's, just, she's not Spanish yeah, no, no, no. She was she's like petite and busty and very interesting looking. And she was uh, very athletic in that Mission Impossible dub uh two parter. And uh yeah, well, forget about Smash, nobody plays their their thing. Shelley pray yeah, you're right. You know, I was like there Harold Stone always a credible and very solid character actor. I always I always felt Harold J. Stone uh, never got his, his due, you know, in, in Movies and numerous TV things he did Gary Crosby's in this Yes, uh, Yeah, it's another story Jackie Coogan's in this And Beverly Adams again She's in a couple of Elvis movies You know <sighs> I enjoyed it I thought it was fluff As much as the next picture
0: Which <laughs> is a little bit better Yes, so Next up is Tickle Me A lot of people make fun of this film It's a Norman Turok film I really do like this. This is actually one of my all-time favorite Elvis films. It's, I think oh, God. it's denigrated a lot on the basis of its ridiculous title. Alison Hayes, the 50-foot woman, is in this thing. Jackie Lane, the hot Austrian Euro model, is in this thing. You know, Elvis is a famous rodeo cowboy who winds up working downtime as the pool boy and caring for the horses in an all-female fat farm. Of course, one where all the women are in excellent shape in the first place, you know, because nobody wants to see a bunch of fat girls with Elvis. Super hot Austrian model the attacking starts is his stunning redheaded love interest, who's the aerobics instructor there. And of course they don't hit it off right away until he protects her from the goons trying to get the treasure map off of her. That's right, her great granda was a prospector who found a gold mine and hid the map in a nearby abandoned ghost town, which leads to a bit of atmosphere and one cheesy period dream sequence. Doesn't matter. It's fun all the way through. And if there's one woman in the Elvis calendar I could totally understand him chasing after. Despite all obstacles, she's the one. Yummy. The best song in this one is "Dirty, Dirty Feeling." I'm not kidding. That's the name of the song. <laughs> What's your take? Since you obviously weren't as in there. Well,
1: but... well, no, no. This is one picture I was not able to review prior to the show because of time. And damn you, it makes me want to look at the stupid title picture. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I of course have seen it. I can't remember it at all, so I don't want to comment negative or positive. But damn, you make it look really interesting. It's mm. mostly for Jackie
0: Lynch. He is smoking fucking hot. That's all I can yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we we had a couple of
1: weeks' notice to do this, but you know, our schedules and yeah, such. So. Think so this is
0: not a picture I've seen
1: in recent decades. Years. Yeah. <laughs> yes, decades. yes. <laughs> recent years. Thank you, sir.
0: So we're we'll going to the next one. So the next one. Oof. Harem Scarum, directed by Gene Nelson, Marion Mobley's in this again, and so is Billy Barty. Sam Katzman, too. Yep. At this point, it's becoming clear that Hollywood is running out of scenarios for Elvis to inhabit, and they're just picking up any discarded piece of shit script off the floor and throwing it at him. This <laughs> one puts him in Valentino territory, not as the Sheik of Araby, but as a proto-Aladdin type. It was actually just... Yeah, it's the usual. You know, Elvis is a performer who's one of the first to visit some unheard of Arabian country as part of a goodwill initiative. Of course... He winds up kidnapped by Hashishin when they see his great karate skills (coughs) and set to the task of assassinating the local region. Of course, the girl he's interested in is actually that guy's daughter, and he has no intention of doing this, which involves him with a midget pickpocket. Guess where Barty comes in. And the usual chaotic web of misunderstandings and chases that make up this sort of cheese fest. It's really bad and kind of embarrassing cultural speaking to boot. About the best song you get in this one, Shake That Tambourine. That says a lot right there. So, what's your what's your take on this one?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I, this is this has to be a misstep. Yeah. Uh, I I think you know do too much, short amount of time. Marianne Mobley is always great. I candy the you. Yeah. <laughs> You said something about her not being a Latina. Well, she's certainly (laughs) an Egyptian princess. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Uh, Michael Ansara, the the go to guy for playing ethnic roles, is also in this Ted V. Michaels guy. So we know where we're going. A lot, except for Billy Barty, who a lot of you people remember the name, and Jay Novello as, hey, I'll blow anybody. (laughs) Uh, Really? The supporting cast is a lot of unknowns, and the production is a lot of unknowns, and this is one of the the, the mid-period Elvis pictures, also produced by Sam Robot Monster catsman, where I'm surprised they actually let this go forward, because yeah. um, it just doesn't have the gestalt that the other pictures had at this period in time. A lot of them are starting to pick up momentum as, hey, you know, the fun, but, or Hey, it's above average, but... And this one just really... Even the posters were shitty. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure what was going on with this picture. And it's quite possible maybe Elvis was torn... Well, not Elvis so much, but he was, like, torn between working between one production company and another. Because this was an MGM picture, and he was doing a lot of stuff for United Artists. So that's
0: possible, too. The problems continue for a little bit. Frankie yeah. and Johnny, directed by Frederick de Cordova, Johnny Carson's producer people. Oi, a costume period piece that looks like it came straight out of an Albert Zugsmith catalog. Unfucking watchable. It's notable for pulling in TV folks like Ellie Mae from the Beverly Hillbillies and Harry Morgan of Dragnet. I'm surprised Doc Severinsen didn't show up to do the score, though he might as well have. Pass. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> Yeah, uh,
1: surprisingly, uh, yeah, I have to agree with you. Uh, it's, it's. I'm not sure. I think this is a contractual obligation picture. must have been. Pretty much the same with the next picture, which is a slight step up, though. Yeah, it's, it's just,
0: better than this one. Yeah, because yeah, it's a Halby Wallace movie. And there's strange people in this that you might like. You know, Susanna Lee from Hammer Films and such. Mariana Hill pops up again. Irene Sue. James Shagetta. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Jim Shigeta, like you said, Julie Parrish. You know, there's people in this you wouldn't know. Deanna Lund's in this. I remember this one as being better than it was. After Chasing the Dumpy White Girl in Blue Hawaii, here's actually the film I remember where he went for a couple of hot Asian girls, which is true in part, <laughs> as his exes, who he brings into promoting his new travel service, include the likes of Irene Sue, Linda Wong, not the porn star people, China Lee of What's Up Tiger Why Lily. Why not? Why not? That would have been interesting. Hey, there's actually two Linda Wongs. I like the one better than the other one. You know who I'm talking about. Yes. If we ever do that damn uh, Tobolina show. We will do it. Yeah, yeah, we will. China Lee of What's Up Tiger Lily and Dr. Goldfoot in the Bikini Machine, as well as being one of the first Asian Playboy centerfolds. So you got class here, and Miko Mayama. But most of those girls are the best bit parts and background eye candy. He spends all his time chasing after Mariana Hill before suddenly making an absurd last-minute Volfotch and going after... old. Susanna Lee, who was just minding the office throughout, with zero sparks or interaction between them, and of course there's a section of Elvis with kids, singing to the Chinese family who adopted them. Oi, talk about playing it safe and sticking with your own kind. What the hell were they thinking? Best song in this one? You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. The rest of it? Yeah, I remember it being a lot better than it was. Let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with you. It's, it's a film that I remember being a lot better than it was. Although, the... Supporting cast is better than I thought it was. Oh yeah, I actually thought Linda Wong was Linda Wong. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> no, it's not.
1: But Susanna Lee is, is is a lot of fun. In this and uh, you know I interviewed Susanna Lee years ago, and, and you know, oh. there's only like so much stuff you can ask these people. The deadly like, bees, the deadly bees, <laughs> but like you know the yeah. other Hammer stuff, and, and you know it's
0: what's for a vampire. Phillip, huh?
1: Yeah, Philip Ahn, you know, is yep. who we know later on from Good, Smart, and Kung Fu, and Mariana Hill, which you name check, who was like our go-to girl before she gave up, went to Italy uh, to spaghetti restaurants before becoming a gangbang icon, apparently, <laughs> from what I've heard, uh, and Nairie Zhu, uh, another interesting character, and Julie Parrish, another interesting character. It's like... What was this movie supposed to be? Yeah, and it misses its marks. Yeah, it's almost like the other one was
0: much better, but now we start to get a little slight improvement. Well, oh, definitely with spinout from Norman Turok once again. Shelley Fabares, Elvis' favorites in this one again. Diane McBain, Deborah Wally who pops up in a lot of these. This is actually one of the last Norentoric Elvis films, unfortunately. And honestly, I think this is the last good one he'd deliver. It features recurring leads of Favaris as the petulant poor little rich girl come love interest (laughs) who abused by running Elvis' race car off the road into a river and mocking him for it. Elvis is in a band called the Three and a Half, which is an obnoxious, misogynist slur in their Mo Thompson-style drummer, who's Deborah Wally, or possibly a joke about her height if you want to make it sound nicer. Either way, she carries a torch for Elvis, she's a gourmet cook, but the entire band only sees her as one of the guys. Literally, they keep referring to her by male pronouns and such. Elvis is being chased around by some old bat psychologist sex therapist type, which may be some knock on the Kinsey's or Eric Johnson. Where can John.
1: you find those? <laughs> <laughs>
0: It may be some knock on the skinsies or Erica John, but also for Barris who has her rich race car owning father buy the land for a private in house performance and trap him into racing for a father which he resists racing his own car in that same race. Bottom line, he's got three girls after him, but he winds up getting them all married to other guys, like a wimpy rich suitor for Bars and a wimpy cop who lives to cook for Wally, while singing songs like Smorgasbord, a classic about playing the field I used to use as an anthem for a while there. <laughs> uh some good songs in this one spin out stop looking listen adam and evil never say yes peak shack smorgasbord i'll be back you get the idea even from the song titles so but it's a fun movie uh yeah. what what i find interesting about this elvis Presley film
1: is aside from the Few main character actors, you know, Shelly Fabari, Diane McBain, Deborah Wally, you know, from a lot of those beach beach party movies, Carl Betts, who was, uh, he had uh, like a TV shows uh, Run for Your Life or something really interesting at the time period. A lot of these people were not familiar. There were a lot of faces like, which I think sometimes helps the movies. Yeah, yeah, sometimes like, oh we don't know who these people are. you know, you can't do the association. Like you know, if you see uh if you see Keanu Reeves in a different kind of role, you can always associate it with like one or two, or three, or four or five different things. Yeah, he's always tennis Preston that Square for me. <laughs> or you know, or or, or the one or, or now John Wick. Which, which I really, really enjoyed Hello, of Get off the bus <laughs> speed. Yeah, speed Yeah, you know, fucking speed is great, man Come on <laughs> So <laughs> Speed too. we're not going to talk about that He's not even in that one It's like Patrick, I used to have a career, whatever his name was So, in any case What's interesting about this one Is uh, i for like two or three or four people We don't recognize any of these folks yeah, But lunar <laughs> Merkel shows up <laughs> And, and and she's like, who is that? And she's like, goes way way back in a time machine for those genre fans. I won't say any much more, but yeah, she was still liked by this film. Didn't she do
0: Hey You from one of those Frankenstein yes. films? Yes.
1: Hey You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, she's one of those early Frankenstein films. Yes, exactly. Yep. <laughs> Uh, or the Invisible Man. She's like, yeah, yeah whatever. Uh, it's, it's, it's really cool. Tom Hanks' wife, Rita Wilson, who has a career for some reason. Uh, <laughs> maybe because she's like Tom Hanks' wife. I, I don't know. Who the fuck is Rita Wilson? But she seems to be credited. Like, Tom Hanks' wife, Rita Wilson. All right, whatever. Where was she in? She's uncredited in this. It might be in a bit part for her. Realizing that she's much older than Tom Hanks For those people who are Tom Hanks' friends uh, bands, And want to stalk Tom Hanks His wife is much older So, you know, you might have a shot <laughs> So, uh, this goes for guys too You know, we're, we're non-judgmental here hey, so, yeah, <laughs> I think Tom
0: Hanks is older than both of us at this point So, <laughs> yeah, spin out is that kind of movie yeah. So next up, Easy Come, Easy Go so, Directed by somebody named John Rich pat priest who's maryland monsters in this damn thing pat harrington jr snyder from one day at a time and speaking of frankenstein movies elsa lanchester's in this thing this is actually one of my top favorite elvis films and oddly it's not a norman Turrod. this is elvis back in the military this time the navy as a sort of coast guard deep sea diver who winds up running afoul of a group of thrill-seekers would-be pirates which include a troy donahue alike which, believe it or not, is Snyder from One Day at a Time as a blonde, and a bossy only marginally attractive Pat Freeze from the Monsters. After a sequence sure to piss off any ladies in the audience where they put random women's photos and phone numbers on a carnival wheel and spin to win what they imply implies an easy ride, despite these girls being complete strangers to whoever wins and spins, there's a ridiculous sequence where he chases pretty beatnik chick Dodie Marshall to a yoga class and winds up finding just how difficult it is to twist yourself in knots and a whole lot of beatnik culture mockery like the gay guy who disassembles his card To create modern art, leaving our heroes to head into town in his absurdly loud, customized hippie hot rod slash junker. It's stupid, it's inconsequential, it's loads of fun, it's pretty much essential viewing among Elvis films. The songs I enjoyed the most out of this were The Love Machine, which was about that wheel that we talked about, and Yoga Is As Yoga Does, which was an Elsa Lanchester slash Elvis duet, if you can believe such a thing even exists.
1: (laughs) Well, this picture was released a year earlier, 66. I think it would have did a little better, being that released in '67, which is you know, summer of love now. Yep. Times are changing. Oh yeah. And I I think I think it did fairly well at the box office. The budget was two million. It's one of the few Elvis pictures I made just below its budget, which reveals something. Uh, far from its fan base abandoning him, it's just starting. This a change culturally. Yeah culturally
0: and these from an earlier time these period.
1: movies right and these movies are still playing to something else which we should go on for a movie or two until there's a slight change
0: yes so next up is actually another nerman turd but it's not a good one by a long shot some nobody she was actually i understand like a clerk in a i don't know a grocery store or a department store or something and they picked her out this woman annette day it's another stinker of the series that came off a lot better than I remembered during our recent revisitation. Elvis gets stalked by a weird looking prudish British girl. Probably because he's suddenly part of the British Invasion, complete with guys in bad shag haircuts and an old fat guy really hamming him up, pretending to be a young band member. She keeps acting like Stevie Nicks on Letterman, going on about how she knows everything that's about to happen and how they're destined to be together. If everybody's seen that clip, it's amusing. Until she finds out that she's an underage schoolgirl, again with a Priscilla thing. Anyway, she follows him around until she discovers that her overprotective uncle is actually out to kill her off before her 18th birthday when she can inherit the fortune she's become accustomed to living off. All of a sudden, it turns into a half-assed Euro spy thing on foggy boats and driving around foggy London streets in Mini Coopers and such. Moments even turn dark, like when she first discovers the plot and the guy she trusts turns out to be a strangler. And those all work, but then you have to contend with all the sub-monkeys, faux British camp, or the bumbling pompous detectives, three of whom dress alike and keep knocking into each other like Tintin's Thompson and Thompson. Or worst of all, Elvis trying to leave this girl before he discovers her age, which includes a rousing rewrite of Old MacDonald on the back of a produce truck. Whew! Double Trouble, Long-Legged Girl with a Short Dress On, and Old MacDonald are the most memorable songs in this one. Like I said, a little bit of atmosphere creeps in, but it's pretty bad. Did you say Underage Girl with a Short Dress? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just not a very good film. Nah, it's just not no. And neither is Clambake. Yeah, Glambake, which is 67, was a fellow named Arthur Nadell, Shelley Fabaris comes in again, and Bill Bixby joins the cast for the first of three movies with Elvis, but for the only time as a rival rather than a buddy or a business partner. As you can imagine, he's not very believable as a smooth, rich player trying to get naked with Elvis' film regular show for Boris. But the plot revolves around Elvis as a rich Texan oil well magnet's heir, driving to town with those big white Cadillacs with the bullhorns on the front, like Boss Hogg, who decides to change places with some poor schlub because he's sick of girls and only want them for his money. You know, like Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, only about two decades too early. Elvis gets to play water ski instructor and repair and risk speedboats in trying to woo for bars, who's a gold digger just in town to land a rich husband. Of course, since Elvis is interested in her, she has to have doubts about her plan and a heart of gold beneath and it all works out in the end thanks to Elvis's rejected invention of waterproof super glue. I shit you not. It would have been one of the good ones were it not for the Jerry Lewis level mugging and camping up of some loser named Will Hutchins as the guy he trades places with so it can be painful to sit through at points. But overall, it's par for the course and has some likability about it. The only real song you're gonna care about in this one is the title cut.
1: It's likable, um, uh, compared to Stay Away Joe, oh, which yes. is like, <laughs> which is like this thing where, yeah, I mean, as far as the the, the movie just described, it's likable. It again, as I I, I may have uh, like hinted at before. We're getting through at the end of the 60s. Yes. You know, climates are changing, you know, politically, musically. And they're still putting Elvis in these
0: kind of goofy-ass unhappy, situations. Yeah. Yes, enthusiastic films. we got Vietnam going on. I mean, you know, I don't know. We were still yeah. years away from you know, Attica and Wounded Knee and all that stuff. But, I mean... I don't he, think
1: he was at a touch. I I just think he he was packaged into a... Uh,
0: say, form. You, you know, know how...
1: Yes, yeah, the same formula. Like, you have soup that has no salt, and they just kind of added him in as a salt. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, to make it tasty. And sometimes it was too salty, and so, like, you either threw it away or you, like, spilled it out and banned some more water. <laughs> so, um, I <laughs> But in any case, it, it was likable, but the next one was freaking horrible. And
0: if they didn't do a turnaround from this, we wouldn't be, like, in damage territory. Yeah. Some fellow named Peter Tewksbury gives a stay away, Joe. Burgess Meredith pops up. Joan Blondell pops up in this unrecognizably. Katie Gerardo. LQ Jones once again. Elvis is, of all things, an Indian on a reservation with, of all people, Burgess Meredith as his chubby chasing father. There's a lot a lot of drunk jokes. Meredith and Elvis both wake up under a few cases worth of empty beer cans at one point. A super hot Indian girl early on who mysteriously disappears about a third of the way in just to make way for a middling redhead who's supposed to be underage to take over as the love interest, believe it or not. And of all people, Glenda Farrell's regular filmic partner and pre standby Joan Blondell, while they're washed up by this point, has the redhead shotgun-toting mother who seriously entertains delusions at one point that Elvis might be hot for her old ass. It's pretty bad, but as Elvis' westerns go, this one's popped the line, maybe. At least he's got goofy humor, and he's kind of an overgrown teenage rebel, complete with a hot red Hadillac convertible, fights, and chasing after every available girl in sight. But make no mistake, it's a bad movie.
1: Well, Katie Gerardo is one of these, uh, actually, few Mexican actresses who was Latino that they, they put in a major role opposite Elvis. She was big over there. Uh, You know, you got Henry Jones, you know, the flower guy from Laughing. L.Q. Jones, as you mentioned, Dick Wilson from John Carpenter movies, Joan Blondell, we don't want to go there. (laughs) And so, um, interesting thing was, this Katie Gerardo figure was really interesting that they made her sort of like the love interest. This was, this movie did feature, in the soundtrack at least, a reunited Jordanaires who Backed up Elvis on his earliest recordings mm-hmm. So you had Scotty Moore And DJ Fontana and all these guys The soundtrack sucked anyway so yes. you know, It was terrible uh, you know, I, I think I said it on the outside. It was late in the game And I don't even know why we went With this kind of picture and then we have Speedway.
0: Yeah, is another Norman Turag with Elvis, Nancy Sinatra, Bill Bixby, William Shallert, the guy from the Pathmark commercials, who I think wound up being the father on the uh, 1970s Hardy Boys show, and Ross Hagen, Beverly Powers pops up again, Richard Petty and Cale Yarbrough, the race car drivers. So, things seem good on the surface. Bill Bixby returns from Bake as his errant business partner, Nancy Sinatra shows up as a love interest, and even gets a song. It's another Norman Turrog, which tend to be more true Elvis movies among the Cycle, but there's something intrinsically wrong about this one. Where most Elvis movies are escapists with few major real world problems ever poking their heads through the door, beyond maybe getting a few bucks together to buy or repair something and win whatever contest and win the Girl the jour, this one is all about wait for this the government screwing us with taxes. Seriously. Elvis is, as I understand he was in real life, very generous with his money, buying a trailer home for a homeless family, well ok, it's a cowboy single father with a brood of girls, and paying for a honeymoon for a poor waitress, but his quote manager only manages to fluff the tax returns and gamble away all his remaining money, and the IRS calls him on it, meaning not only is Elvis screwed into living under watch in a strict poverty budget until he pays back all he owes, which is in the hundreds of thousands, in the 60's. But they repossess all his gifts, screwing all those people he helped out as well. And Nancy, the big love interest with the sassy songs yeah she's his tax assessor come matron gathering evidence on him and then serving as an effective probation officer thereafter Ooh yeah i'm in love talk about a bait and switch this movie's fucking unbelievable it looks good it seems well cast but beware this is no elvis movie i guess the best you get here would be your time hasn't come yet baby which of course he's singing to underage girls and he's your uncle not your dad which is of course about the u.s government taxing you really fucking unbelievable movie it's pretty bizarre, yeah. actually, for a film. Uh film. Um, there's,
1: I don't know, if we, we talked about subliminal messages in movies before, in other films, other series, other shows, but there's definitely something going on here. And I saw this theatrically, Shh. <laughs> and with some major big Hollywood movie, and this was the second picture, it was a drive and I was like What is this, this isn't the normal thing
0: no, When I was
1: a kid back then I was only Shh, Years old <laughs> And so uh Shh, The octopus <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But anyway It's not bad It's definitely different It's not a great movie It's not a terrible movie It's just like so is, you know, what we're left with is, is, is Elvis now like kind of asserting himself a little bit more in his films? Is he actually, despite what's being written, actually going back and saying, hey, let's actually do something I'm more comfortable doing, which in this case is mirroring elements from his real life, possibly. Yeah, interesting movie.
0: So 1968, we're almost at the end of his filmic career. Live a little, love a little. Once again, it's Norman Turok. It's a weird attempt to pull Elvis into the hippie era, sort of. Seemingly informed by the Liz Taylor, Richard Burton beatnik film The Sandpiper, Elvis is a photographer who drives his dune buggy right out to the beachfront doorstep of a quote free-spirited girl who's clearly out of her fucking gourd, pretending to be a different person with a different name every time he sees her. Despite a few weird walk-ons. Dick Sargent from Bewitched, 20s flapper era crooner of Rudy Valley. This is all about an older, more straight-laced guy trying to get with a young loon. Elvis starts singing more lounge club style material here. The only real corker is one of his Mac Davis swipes, a little less conversation. Winds up working for a porno mag. There's even a weird LSD sequence straight out of On a Clear Day You Can See Forever. The Babs Meet Ismontan clunker, but with a guy in a dog suit. <laughs> Michelle Carey, while attractive enough, has a squeaky little girl voice that makes you want to strangle her throughout the film our pal Celestia now with beast of Blood shows up as well and she's actually kind of attractive here but it's more of a bit part as a forwarded pickup attempt it's bizarre and more of one of those of its era period piece jobs than anything else in this filmography the bottom line is it's just fucking strange best thing in this is the Mac Davis song with conversation yeah I have to agree with you uh I I don't know if this was maybe made before the
1: film we just talked about which is possible it's possible it released afterwards but this doesn't seem to have any uh Connection or ambient uh, uh, allusion to what's going on in the world. So I have to I have to go with my my uh, feelings on that, with well, my intuition, and say this is probably a picture that was made a little earlier that was released after the other one. Maybe on the hope that well we have this earlier innocent-y kind of picture that it will do
0: well, and then it just tanked because I believe it did not do well either. So next up, we've got like three films left, and they're all really bad. That was kind of the best you're going to get from here on out. Charro, another Western. With Victor French in it, of all people, (laughs) from A Family Affair, I managed to assiduously avoid television areas of this throughout the 80s and 90s. Generally on Ted Turner networks, who seemed obsessed with Elvis just because it was, one, another Elvis Western, and two, everything I heard about it was bad. Unfortunately, it did turn up in a box set of Elvis films I actually wanted most of the films in, so it is in my collection, skimmed through exactly once at the time of purchase. It's a sorry attempt by yet another film director to co opt the success of Eastwood, Van Cleef, Leone, and the Spaghetti Western, so Elvis walks around with some really silly-looking 5 o'clock shadow and a poncho. But it's got the feel of an Albert Zugsmith production, so there's no way it could ever possibly work. I can't even review this one fairly. I could barely sit through it once all those years ago, so... Um,
1: uh, well, it has the... <laughs> Full bosom of Ina Badlin to recommend it. But yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's like this time period this is like a lot of people going over to Italy doing these gritty pictures and all oh, I don't know where they shot this but you know, it's like let's make Elvis do a spaghetti person. I don't think it was beneath him. I think he was totally capable of turning in a good picture. I think it's oh, what yeah. what he was surrounded with. I think yeah, you know, we didn't we didn't have a really great director, we didn't have a really terrific Cast Hugo Montenegro, who pretty much did like 99-cent store albums beam back then. Um, <laughs> worst of all, worst of all for poor Elvis, his his distribution dropped from Columbia. And Fox And MGM To like National General Pictures Yep You know You knew The times were changing mm-hmm. Based on probably uh, The revenue coming in From those movies And And also This was released In March of 69 So You know By then the Eastwood pictures Have come out A lot of stuff Is happening The world is changing I think it's an admirable I, I will be kind to it though I think it's an admirable Admirable Attempt To do Something Different with Elvis Presley. I think with the, r- the right director, production, yeah, the right director, the right production company, and the right cast. Uh, even if it was a B cast, I mean, you had to really think, you had to look around you. If you were in the production company, I think they could have done much better.
0: Look, if they could make Burt Reynolds do a halfway decent Western with Navajo mm-hmm. Joe. And they could make a bit player like Clint Eastwood into a legitimate star with Leone. Yeah, there's no way they couldn't do something with Elvis. He was not a bad actor. He could pull it yeah. off.
1: Yeah, uh, he was just... probably he was probably a better actor than either one of those guys. Yeah, I, w- I will. Yeah, put me down for that. I would say yes because he did more pictures dollar for dollar than either one of those actors did. Although he did a lot of episodic television, he worked hard. Mm-hmm. And he did a lot of live shows, which is acting. You know that's acting. Mm-hmm. Performing live is acting. And and here's a segue. You know, if you're a musician, you're acting. You're 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 doing something. You know, and and he, if you're not into it, you know, you got to do that for the moment. You got a lot of people watching you. We got six people watching you. So go on with the show no matter what. You got people paying for this. Go on with the show no matter what. So I I think
0: he would have did a fine. Sure, Sure. definitely. But now this
1: weird movie next.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, this fellow named Peter Tewksbury, The Trouble with Girls. It's yet another unwatchable film from what I call the decline period. Yet another sit-in director. Yet another stupid idea. This is one of those period piece musicals. Elvis is a gambler. Honestly, I couldn't watch it. John Carradine and Vincent Price Cameo, As do it is enough Joyce Van Patten, Nine to Five's Dabney Coleman, and the voice of Scooby Doo, Freddy and dozens of other Hanna Barbera cartoons. Frank Welker. But like the one that we're about to cover, not one I've ever felt the need to have in my collection, let's put it nicely like that. So <laughs> Well,
1: it's it's a
0: huge step back. Because yeah. this movie
1: released in the uh, almost it's nineteen seventy now, folks. Yeah, and you know Elvis Presley is starring as a person who was a, uh, a entertainer in the a traveling show in the nineteen twenties. I mean, whoa! I mean, <laughs> we were making some kind of ground, and then a huge step back. And then surrounding that, the supporting cast is you know as you, you know Edward Andrews, you know a solid, a solid. Character actor in television. You know, Carradine, Price, Demney Coleman at the time, solid character actor in TV. Uh, Joyce Van Patten, you should. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it's Marilyn Mason. No, not that one. That's Manson. But the thing is, as the 70s turned into a turbulent time period, oh, yeah. 69 to 71, why would you make a movie with one of the most magnificently talented? And occasionally box office champion guy who's now one kidding towards the skids. Make a movie about a traveling guy in the twenties. It's not only a throwback, it's like you're you're smoking crack. crack. Yeah, you're <laughs> moving back and you're not you're not acknowledging
0: I it's really a bad decision. It's like not acknowledging climate change in twenty eighteen. <laughs> yeah, we're not gonna go there. <laughs> So, there we go, (laughs) True. Okay, so now we finally get to his last film, and ooh, boy, is this a doozy. All right, I'll just list the cast off really quick before I go into this. Mary Tyler Moore. Barbara McNair, Hail Satan Edward Asner, known communist Darlene Love is a backup singer This is an almost unwatchable attempt at making Elvis relevant quote-unquote to the hippie generation with all the social justice concerns and cross it with the recent short-lived craze for The Flying Nun and Dominique the Singing Nun Elvis is a doctor working the inner city ghetto and his holy platonic quote-unquote love interest is not only Mary Tyler Moore but Mary Tyler Moore as a nun Amusingly, known Satanist Barbara McNair, who also had a short lived variety show of her own, plays a supporting role as you guessed it, a nun. Head of the American Communist Party at Lou Grant himself, Ed Asner appears as a gruff cop, and Darlene Love makes a cameo but except as a sick joke. This film is really unwatchable. It's like someone tried to mix Gidget and the Mod Squad. It's too overbearingly concerned with social justice on one hand, and too soft-soap and cloyingly sweet and innocent for the crowd that would appreciate those more realistic sensibilities. It's an ignominious end to a long run. It was a good movie to stop making these goddamn things and go to Vegas. (laughs) Well, you know, it's an
1: interesting picture, because they gave it to a director. Who did Waterhole Number no. 3 in 67, which is like one of the first like rated M movies with James Coburn and a bunch of fairly, dearly undraped people. A honky, another, another weird interracial high school movie. So this guy wasn't like beyond Where the Lilies Bloom, Sounder Part 2, as if we needed one. Yeah, so he wasn't a hack. And, uh, of course, he graduated in 1980 with Ghana Tragedy, the story of Jim Jones, starring our favorite, mm-hmm. Powers Booth. <laughs> uh, you mean Powers Booth? Yeah, yeah. He, he, <laughs> he wasn't a complete hack. So, you know, uh, he did Frank Sinatra's last movie, *Contract on Cherry Street. So, you know, it's, it's a, it was capable of being something else. I don't know if somewhere along the line along the way things got changed but yes I I agree with you they tried to make something relevant the only thing that could be said for this is that a year before this got released he did a comeback special for television 1968 and just called Elvis nobody knew too much what was coming and we had heard he was just gonna go do bare bones bluesy like he was you know so he comes out with a leather jacket and for a brief moment in time, there was hope. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've seen this, there's, there's an extended version of it out there. Elvis Presley, some of his original crew from his, you know, when he started, just sitting out there in the round, doing, without added extra production, doing the stuff, doing what he does. And Elvis, the comeback special was probably where I'd like to remember him the most at the end.
0: Yeah, that whole shtick where he was out there with Scotty Moore and Bill uh, Black, I think it was, the original trio. Mm. And I think they even brought in the Jordanaires, I'm not positive, the, in the middle of like a wrestling ring, more or less, mm. was amazing. You know, he's sitting there in a leather jacket, and they just kind of comping these things out. Later on, there, there was three parts to that special. One was more like Jailhouse Rock, where he was in a white suit, and they had this huge two-layer stage set or whatever. And then there was a third part that I don't really remember that well they didn't work so well for me but that mm. part in the rank with him in the leather jacket and Scotty and Bill that was killer and i once again like you said that seemed like oh god he's coming back and then unfortunately he went on to do Vegas and everybody knows how that went. I mean, you know, there's some silly love for things like, you know, American trilogy and all those crappy B J Thomas Mac Davis songs he was doing, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not the same thing. It, it, this is before he went Vegas. He was kind of on the borderline, like, okay, I think he wants to come back, I think he wants to do something other than be known as this guy that's increasingly irrelevant doing cheesy movies that are time locked in the fifties. Mm. But uh, it obviously didn't happen that way. So
1: Well, you know, it made a lot of money for him. And, and oh, then yeah. something happened we're not privy to. It might be in the oodles and oodles and dozens of Elvis books. You know, there's something happened with the psyche. You know, it could have been involving his mother. It uh, could have been involving his management. Or it could have been involving need to be loved beyond the uh, periphery of the uh, what we thought was going on. And so he got larger in life. You know, he, he got involved with... Things, and then the drugs.
0: Yeah, things yeah. fell apart because for a lot of reasons. Like you said, his mother dying was a huge thing for him. He got involved with what they call the Memphis Mafia, which he had a bunch of hangers on, that he would just kind of, you know, basically yes man kissing his ass all the time, and he'd throw him all kinds of money. And some of them were parts of his band, but other people were just schmucks, you know, Southerners that he knew.
1: Well, I, I want to say this, though. He was like one of the last people you would consider would be involved in drugs. Yeah, that's true. And you would think, like, wholesomeness... Well, who would you think of Elvis Presley, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was like wild to think, like, wow, reds and
0: Christmas trees and
1: all this stuff, you know. And, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: but still. Well, I think it's a, a kind of a touring thing. You know, you're a musician. Yeah. You're always out there. you got to perform. you got to do something to keep you up. Okay, now I'm up and I can't sleep. And then it becomes, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that's part of it. Yeah, but give also, me some of this. Give me some of that. Yeah, yeah. Also, the big thing for him, at some point there in the middle of this whole Memphis Mafia doing Vegas, touring around, whatever, his beloved wife Priscilla had a thing with his karate instructor because she was feeling neglected because he was always leaving her alone while he was on tour. Mm. That broke him. Honestly, that that was the defining moment that made him fat Elvis and drugged out Elvis. And I've seen his last concert and I've seen ones around that time and he just increasingly is losing it. You know, if he had not died on the throne, you know, taking a bunch of drugs, would he still be around? He might be some like bloated old who knows what. But he would not be the same guy, there's no way He would have to have found himself again in some manner For some reason or other, some trigger And got him past his, you know, druggy girlfriend Yeah, and, I
1: agree, I agree yeah. with you Yeah, I agree with that I think if Elvis had lived and, and kind of got himself out of that yeah. rut He would he would not be like a fat old guy, no I think he would have gotten himself out of that And I think he would have, re- actually, he probably would have reinvented himself
0: yeah, there could have been an '80s comeback, like kind of like what uh, George Harrison was trying to do with the Traveling Wilburys and all that. You know, the Beatles revival yeah, thing. Yeah, uh, how good it would have been, who knows? But. He would have been alive. And unfortunately, that's not the way things went. But, you know, nonetheless, we do have these really weird films that, you know, the more you think about it, the more you see them in this sort of hermetic universe that locks into this pattern and ignores everything going on around it for a decade, a very tumultuous decade in the world, society, you know, war, whatever, culture. They're, how really fucking strange they are. <laughs> and while they're really enjoyable, they're also really weird. So that's part of what's to celebrate about these films, at least the better part of them. So next time around, I believe we decided we were going to do what I had called the, the Italian Stallion or a Party at Kitty yes. and Studs, the films of Sylvester Stallone. I am still watching some real <laughs> stinkers that you probably think are great and vice versa. <laughs> but, you know, it should be a yeah,
1: fun Yeah, well, yeah. And, and our purpose is not to not knock him because you know you know things happen for a reason and and I think he's a very intelligent businessman oh yeah and I think I think he's he's a pretty decent actor I, I watched something not the long ago saying oh, I thought this was terrible this is actually pretty good and he's pretty
0: good in it so you never know granted there were some things that suck, but <laughs> And the best part about this show is going to be the ones that you're probably like, oh, my God, this is terrible, are the ones that I absolutely love for him because I like his cheesier films, the ones that people consider failures, yeah. whereas the ones that everybody loves a lot of times, I'm like, yeah, I wish I hadn't watched that ever. <laughs> so, ever. Oh, yeah, gosh. Uh, like The Expendables. <laughs> uh, anyway. I like that. Come on, man. I know you did. I know you did. My wife's like, wow, this is going to be a fun show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh my so anyway. God. All right. Next week. Okay. Next time. So, uh, um... Thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed our little drawing room chat on the Elvis film. Uh, next time, like I said, uh, we're going to be doing the films of Sylvester Stallone. If you'd like to contact us here, tell us suggestions, or you're a filmmaking musician, would like to join us in there? Drop us a line on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Scenes one or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. We're also on Twitter at weirdscenes1. Weird Scenes One on the Goldmine, brought to you by the wholly non-existent Big Papa Online Network on Blondtilf Radio. All right. So, anything else you want to say? uh, No. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, We hope you enjoyed the show. Tune in next time. All right. See you next time. Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune into Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early nineties. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the province of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is at eye level? A reductio ad and look at the headlines from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not so serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At iLevel, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Poppa Network on Blog Talk Radio. Join us on Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life.
1: I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without his Scarlet Women? Who is by and far the largest audience of New Age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we
0: discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the Yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality the dark side and the light from the organized to the out of the way
1: this show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and
0: found them ultimately
1: unfulfilling
0: join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner fellow seekers of truth in this journey towards light.
1: moving towards life Lessons in life and spirituality from an Unconventional Seeker.
0: Bringing more to you only here on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment.
1: Drop in for a spell as Doc Savage, Lois Hall, myself, discuss with me
0: love, with the the career, and the wonderful world of cult films, music, television, and more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age.
1: Tune in turn on, and take a step outside the mainstream, as we dig deep into the rich vein of coke cinema, and music, and television, right here on
0: Mirror the rear seats inside the gold mine. Only here on the Big Papa Online Network, on Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. How you doing? All right. <laughs> yeah? You holding up after the whole chiller incident?
1: You know what? That physically wiped me out, standing out there for hours, cold, breathing, yep. Oh, it's... I believe it. I totally believe it. And you know what? I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things. Like, the vibe was really off when I got there. So, this was like definitely
0: a thing. Yeah, even before it happened. Yeah, that's typical. I get yeah. a lot of situations like that where you walk in the door and it's like, yeah, the vibes ain't good. <laughs>
1: yeah, so. is there, for the first time, too. You know, usually if you're not feeling well or under the weather, and I was ba- battling a sinus thing, it happened for weeks, but this is not that. It all started out when I ran around like a chicken without a head just to get, you know, like the small toothpaste, make sure I take a shaver. You know, things I always forget. Right. And uh, I was going to get some booze, and I used the wrong card. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, and I was going to go back home, and I did. And I said, I'm I'm running out of time. I want to rest for about a half an hour. And I said to Alexa, wake me up in 30 minutes. (laughs) But I'm playing with the phone, and I said, shit. I was supposed to get them in 50 minutes. Okay, wake me up in 30 minutes. Right. And I heard it go off, and I thought, Alexa, uh, it's a pretty cool thing I have sometimes. I said, wake me up in 50 minutes, p.m. or a.m.? P.m., okay. It went off. I didn't hear it. I was like, shit, groggy. I'm like, oh, I got to get out of here. It's 2.30. So uh, I go for Uber, Lyft, and I get the better deal of a two, less than 40, you know, like 35. It's not too bad that time of the year. Right. Sometimes it's cheaper when it's warmer. So right away, you know, I'm not paying attention. The guy goes left instead of right. He's supposed to go on 1 and 9, go through Route 3, and head north. He heads toward Newark. So go okay. going through... So I'm going through Elizabeth I'm like you're going way the fuck out of the way You're going whatever it is East right he's going east So I'm past Newark I said uh are you following your GPS Oh yeah yeah I said you're going way out of the (laughs) way man You gotta go all the way across New Jersey now So our 35 45 minute ride turned to hour plus Oof Still the same price, though. But it was okay. like, come on, you know. I figured
0: it's not you like a taxi driver
1: would. No, no. When you pay Uber or Lyft, the price you get is the price you get. Okay. But whatever happened? Okay, so I get to the hotel. You know, I said some minute hellos. You know, so I get in the car. I see people I know. So I go to check in. So it's three forty-five. This is a whole adventure in itself. Oh yeah, you have a room in the courtyard yeah, Great, because in my duties Q&As, rushing back and forth is so much Easier than going upstairs Right, But it's not ready Oh, <laughs> it's, it's almost 4 o'clock, isn't check-in time 3 Yeah, I know, I'm sorry Let me call for you, no, it's not ready oh Alright, that's cool, yeah, no pressure uh, I'll tell you what, I'll go outside It's chilly, but not horrible Out, and I've dragged my shit What's your cell number? I'll call you Oh yeah, it's my cell number, blah blah blah, blah. So about 4.15 comes, is nothing. I go back in there. It's still not ready. Oh. I'm so sorry. Well, okay. I'll tell you what. You know, I'm not stressed out about this. I'll go back outside. I see some people I know. So I go back in. It's now a quarter to five, right? Yeah. I haven't taken a piss yet. So <laughs> you can run this if you want. Okay. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's like major, but I got like my bag, I got a backpack suit. So you know, it's hard to do. It's, I'm sorry, your room's still not ready. I'm like, come on, check-in time's 3 o'clock. It's almost 5. I really got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> well, it's down the hall. No, I'd rather check into my room. I don't know when it's going to be ready. I'm like, do you not have enough people to clean the rooms? I don't understand this. Yeah. Like, I said, or oh, what condition was that room? Yeah, exactly. Somebody get killed in there? (laughs) Yeah. She goes, I'll give you a room on the second floor. Okay, fine. I'll take anything at this time. Fine. You know, you you get disgusted. So I go up there. it's 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 one positive thing. It's the second floor. There's nothing really going on there. Only a few people have rooms. And most of it's the long lines for the photo ops. Right. And when they're not happening, which is like you're going to sleep, it's fairly quiet. So I was like, okay, fine. It's a smallish room for a hotel, I, I thought. But hey, whatever. And before I leave the desk, I said, um, I don't want to be weird, but you know, since the way things are going here, yeah, usually we get a little something for working the show. And can you just tell me so I don't overspend and know how much cash I gotta have on my card? I have no idea what you mean. Oh, okay, cool, no problem. So like, I didn't buy you anything. So I meet my sound guy, he's already ready for me, that's good, and then the girl who assisted me in the last two shows is back with me, and she's a little over-exuberant, we should meet everybody, I already figured out where everybody is, blah blah blah, like Dominique, it's alright, let me just, you know, just check in, uh, you know, okay, let's meet people. So we go meet the people, no hassles there, of course, 50% of the people I spoke with to promoter, at least twice. In a short time before the show, yeah, it's a done deal. They're like, huh? <laughs> uh, you're in the program. By the way, I printed out flyers just with the times of the event in color. So I'll give you one. You know, I've printed out like enough of them. Yeah, so here's the deal. <laughs> My usual spiel is if you don't want to do it, it's fine. Mm. Just letting out know will be fun. It's not going to take too long, too much time out of your life, but I understand. Ken Forey of all people, who was in a really good mood and looked really good, we were going to have a tribute to George Romero, which I thought was, hey, you know what? All right, fine. George was only at the show once. Yes, I was there for that. He never got to come back. He passed. So his his ex wife or wife, whatever it was, Christine was there, and she's been his business partner, associate editor, costume designer, actor, and like <laughs> for years and years. And the two guys from Day of the Dead. Uh, <sighs> Not Joe Pilato, thank God. I don't even know if he's still alive. Mm. The Irish fellow and and the African-American, who was like George's thing in all those pictures. So Ken Furry and John Russo were in the room. And so I go up to Ken. I saw him while I was checking in. He goes, I don't know about it, but cool, I'll do it. So I'm running, you know, going through everything on Friday night. He goes, you know what? John Russo's here. I'd rather not. I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh blood you yeah? know? Mm-hmm. He goes and he can talk, but if you really need me, I said, "Look, man, it's it'd be really cool if you came." You know, mm-hmm. got Terry Alexander, who was like the the other version of you. You know, like six years later, and, and it'd be good to have your voice. But it's cool. And everybody said that Christine Romero had never done anything like this since George Romero died. She right. was supposed to have got sick, so write her easy in asking her. So I'm like, oh, so nobody said anything. So the guy who brought her also was the same fellow who bought Sunny Cheever and also other Japanese people over the years. Right. And I don't know how he leaned to a, a mirror on zombies, but whatever. He came up to me. He goes, she'll do it. Really? Okay. So I spoke to her and she said, fine, no problem. And it, it, just those three people showed up. I'm like, where's John Russo? Because I spoke to him. He goes, oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure. Okay, all right. Oh, it'll be great. So my girl shows up with three people. I'm like, where's the other two? I don't know Okay. <laughs> so the other guys Having done this a lot There's been multiple Day of the Dead events Over the years Had nothing new to add And actually couldn't reach for in their minds Anything to share She however was able to fill up a lot of dead space Because you know She worked with casting with George Lots of other little tidbits And I thought it was enough to make it fun the first one, that was the second one The first one was the Hammer Girls And that was, you know, Mart, uh, Martine Bestwick, Caroline Monroe Ian Algaby who looked fantastic And Pauline Peart, who was in Satanic Rites of Dracula She's the African, well, she's not African American She's the black girl gets got But she was in a Carry On movie or two So I was like, hey, <laughs> I asked a question So tell me about this Carry On stuff I wanted to do something different with them And they did, because I said I don't want to ask you guys about the same stuff <laughs> So, uh, I got a couple of Captain Kronos and a couple of Amicus questions, and he was sitting right next to me, in Ogilvie. I said, You know what I'd really like to ask you about? Return of the Saint. And, you know, I got some applause there. So he's like, Oh, because I'm sure I'd like to know, you know, how'd you get that role? And he's well, around that time, I said, which isn't as long ago as we thought. It's the late 70s. I looked like Roger Moore and I sound like Roger Moore. And I look at him, he's sitting right next to me. I said, oh, shit. <laughs> he does still and he does sound like him. And he, and he had a couple of good stories to share. With those people, those girls can gab. So we ran over time. But the Italian horror thing was late, as usual. And, uh... and of course, that one started late also because Caroline decided to pee at the last minute. So, of course, she comes on the stage, grabs the mic, and goes, Oh, I'm so sorry, I'm late. I had to pee. <laughs> uh, I hope somebody recorded that. <laughs> So anyway, Cynthia Monreal looked fantastic. Call Gabriel, you're been saying the same thing for years. Very nice fellow though. Ruggiero was battling a little cold, but you know, after doing this for so long, his his English is still okayish. And I asked Art to do it with me because he has like an in with Mike Baronas, and yeah, I like Art. Yeah, you know, we just it's all right. And. So I think, oh, you're hanging out with these guys. Maybe you probably asked them shit over the weekend. We can, like, get into that I'm not privy to about the movies. But Ruggiero, you know, fucking, I got sidewinded, but the first question is, okay, you asked the first questions about the fucking animal stuff. And I'm like, oh, can we get past that? And, you know, it it bothers Ruggiero to talk about that at this point. Yeah, sure. And so we went to court over that.
0: That was a big deal.
1: Yeah, and so it was a long-winded answer, and he was kind of not happy discussing that, and I could see it, but you, there's a couple of people I saw on the camera, so I figured, this is gonna be a good man, too, I'm going to let this go, and most of the time, I had very little to say, because I'm trying to listen intently to what he's saying, Figure out what the hell he's saying, anyway. His best story was, which I don't think I've heard before you know he went to shoot he couldn't find anybody and the, the crew and he pointed to, to, to call York, but not him was stoned on coke. yep and uh, they, they couldn't function at all. <laughs> and, uh, the, oh wow Good. Uh, they were in some room somewhere and then there was another story I forgot who told that I think he did as well that there was a cantina a local place they went at night and sometimes at some point the whole South American military rolls in and they kind of got a little antsy you know, mm-hmm. what the hell's going on here and they brought in this beautiful underage girl and she was allowed to dance and pirouette and stuff and they were all like what's going to happen here you know, you know where I'm going with this, uh-huh. right? But it wasn't. She was a, a contender for that country's, you know, Miss Whatever, and they wanted to make sure she had appropriate places to rehearse. So her escort was the fucking army, which you know, you thought it was like going to be like a major gangbang of a fourteen-year-old, but. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure that's he was in, he was alluding to that's what they were all freaking out about you know like yeah. what's going
0: on here you know but no
1: that's that wasn't the case
0: short me. of that part I heard very similar stories from Giovanni Lombardo rodice when we were talking about Lindsay with Fearox so yeah I could see this happening <laughs> <laughs> about the coke and about the army <laughs> yeah
1: right it's it's a weird thing so uh, we're getting up to the point where. <laughs> I called you a couple hours later because we were texting each other. So, it just ends, and then six, I'm talking about big, burly they got the full gear on, like, we're talking backtrack. Five or six firemen come walking in through the side door by the stage and walk out the front. And they have these, like, EMP devices, you know, where you look for ghosts with these long, weird wires. And so I grab a mic and said, well, you know, it's it's okay. I don't believe these people are in costume. It's a bit early for that, so I believe they are firemen, but don't be alarmed, because nobody's said anything. Put the mic down. Seconds later, bunch of fucking cops coming, get out! Get out now! I'm like, whoa. <laughs> no, move orderly
0: to your exit, no, keep calm.
1: Yes! Like I told you when I, when I called you from, like, uh, I think it was on the bus at that time.
0: Yeah. The bus, the place.
1: You see it in movies, you know? Please exit in orderly fashion. Please do not panic. No, this was fucking. They got. It got so bad that once we moved to the hallway, the vendors' hallway, going toward the front of the lobby, they lined up. Cops, firemen, chanted
0: like, "Time, get out now, get out now." It was like, "Fucking, this is freaky, man." And you told me people were screaming and running and. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, I tried to take video, realized I was in such a flut that I just took a picture. And I, <laughs> I was like, oh, forget about it. But there's plenty of videos out there. So we got out. It's cold. It's only drizzling at that point. And we're at the parking lot. And we're hanging by cars. You know, you're inside. You have T-shirts, like clothing. You don't have your car keys. So you're fucked. And so I couldn't find anybody. And I briefly saw people I know, but then they were trying to move people away. And then people listened to them because they were stabbed, But you know what? Just go. Then they moved us further away by the trees. And there's some photos and video of that if if you're following the event. Actually, It was on Extra, the the E-Extra channel. And it, it made all, you know, first it made local news and it made major news. So... Then they chased us across the road to this closed, uh, massive office structure, and uh, it started to rain harder, and get windy, and met some nice people from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody I knew I'm hey, where are you? Well, I mean, I'm nice and comfy in my car. I got away. Or, I mean, a nice diner. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> hey, man, <laughs> I'm out here freezing. They just gave up. I hang with the people. And long story short, buses took people to a government place, okay. which took a, about an hour. They came back about uh, such time. We didn't want to go. We became like the rebels. And uh, the, about 50 of us said, no, you know what? We don't want to go. And the guys, the two buses stayed there. Then they radioed back, these people don't want to go. Because we didn't know where you're going. You say it's a little close by, and it takes an hour. And then a friend of mine texted me a photo. Lou, this is this is the photo of the place. I so said, I don't like the look of this. It looks like a weird wreck hole and about 20 folded chairs. And where's all the people they took there? They said, they got the okay, we can get in the bus and stay dry and warm. Okay. So we got in the bus. Bernie Capel gets on. He sits right next to me. Ah, uh, just out of coincidence. <laughs> and he's like, I gotta pee! <laughs> and so... <laughs> like, hey, you made me, too. You know? <laughs> the bus starts moving, and uh, everybody's like, hey, where are we going? I'm sorry, I have to take you to the place. I'm like, shit. All right, fuck it. So we're driving, we're driving, we're driving. And he goes, where are we going? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everybody starts applauding. Thank you,
0: sir. You yeah. Thanks, Doc. <laughs>
1: so we got to this, we got on the highway. I said, this isn't in Mars. Plane. I No, oh, where the fuck are you going? I could be home by now. It's also dark. So, you know, you don't know where you're going. And we got to this place He got off with his uh, Very hot handler. She was in glasses And oh my god I, think I had to kind Granddaughter home knows? I was like wow And a couple other people Got off People got on And they were standing room. So that wasn't a good sign This is supposed to be The relaxation Special place And um <laughs> So They didn't know What to do with us So they took us back And we were outside We got driven back Somebody spotted me Outside from staff and they said what are you doing outside I'm like I'm with these people man I said come in so they let the staff in and then they let the hotel staff in they opened the bar you can imagine everything after that was weird I was asked by many people so what about all the Q&A's that were planned?" I said what are you kidding me it's like hours later (laughs) we thought about but then I said, "How would we let people know they're happening?" You know, beyond the people who would I, I'd be talking to. The room got sh- the set got struck for the for the bands to play later. I said, "All right, forget about some wash." Thought about the next morning, but they moved to costume contest, which they always like to have to the morning. I said, you "No, know what? Just you know, I got three done. It's all right." <laughs> which is funny because we would have had
0: seven this year. Well, you had said a lot of weird stuff when we were talking on the bus. Like for one thing that. A lot of guests decided to bail at the time because of, you know, what was going yes. on. Yeah, Some people, when we got back, but enough
1: where they came back, surprisingly.
0: Interesting. But you also said that there was some guy wandering around yes, yelling, Trump's our president or whatever, and there was an actual bomb scare. Later on, they put it up like it was just a gas leak. No, no, minute.
1: there was a bomb scare. I, I will officially stand by it. No, and Kevin confirmed it, yeah no it was it was here's what it was the the gas leak was in a kitchen loading dock area somewhere around that vicinity it was near our room when we were leaving the room there was a smell of something but it was faint you right. know what i'm saying it didn't gas don't smell like gas i'll tell you that's another thing so that's what that was somebody called in a bomb scare right on top of that about 20 minutes later which added to the problem. Now it depends on who you are friends with or not. People showed me on their on their cell phones Saturday night. Hey Lou, look, look at this. A couple of people had the in shock X marked on the doors in that hotel and in the adjoining one, which is attached, which was also empty. The Hampton Inn or whatever the fuck it is. Right. So they must have went room by room and they marked the uh, rooms they searched with the next on the door. The guy is that's a true story. Yeah, while we were still under the trees, this rabid crazy guy with somebody barely holding up, screaming out know, about you know, pro Trump stuff and as he's passing, you know, the word is going like, you know, such traveling person to person. Hey, I wonder if that's the guy <laughs> who called it the thing. Yeah, you know, we're on the bus, it came up again. Hey, you remember that guy? Yeah, we all remember that guy. I wonder if he's the guy. And it's well, at this point, the FBI is involved. Mulder and Scully will certainly solve this, <laughs> uh, and other agencies. It's a big thing. You know, you got a couple of thousand people. You know, sure. it's not like
0: no, this is a big event. This is not like local comic show or whatever.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah, and, and you know, I I felt bad for you know, there, there's a lot of people that are older, a lot of people that are infirm that they love doing coming here. Any event, they love coming to any event because they're aging fans. They they want to see these people. I'm not gonna knock that, you know. And I felt bad for them. You know, yeah. I felt bad for some of the from the, some of the guests. But a lot of people did come back. Uh, I saw a lot of people leave. Uh, some people didn't come back. But and wasn't there a suspicious device found too? That turned out to be. Are you ready for this? A Ghostbusters gun. <laughs> Well, it's Halloween, Chip. Yeah, you know? of course. And it was it was course. left
0: behind, and uh, they they weren't quite sure. People come there all the time dressed in cosplay, you know, the whole deal. I mean, even before that became a thing, back in the 80s, they were still doing this uh, crap. So yeah. <laughs> it, it sounds funny in
1: hindsight, but you know, you oh, know at the what? time you're like, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> and you know, if you're not a trained eye, and and you're trained in other areas, what is this? You know? Yeah. And it was left behind, and so they had to examine that. They had to look and Probably some rooms may have had assisted living devices. Some rooms may have had, uh, I don't know, maybe people smoked too much pot, and some things were picked up. Those are probably the rooms they keyed into, and they marked the doors saying they were checked. Because I know my room didn't have an exon. So what I'm trying to say is that, hey, you know what? In the end of the whole story, it could have been worse, and it wasn't. You know, it could have been a gas leak that actually fucking got a lot worse. and You could have had a minor explosion. You could have had people sent to the hospital because of gas leaks. You see that in the news. The bomb threat could not have been
0: a threat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a scary thing. I was concerned for you. Yeah, it was
1: was pretty bizarre. Side note, I'm unofficially saying this. A lot of of my friends are not going to go back. Mm. And, And some of my friends who are vendors said this is their last show. Yeah. And I, I am a little sad for that because, you know, I, I can't afford to go to Ohio Cinema Wasteland. Everybody does this show. They say, oh, Louis, you have a great time. I have to fly to Ohio. I have to get from the airport to the hotel. Okay. Minimal cost, let's say. Every, there's Uber everywhere, you know. But I have to pay for the hotel. I have to pay yeah. for food. I have to pay for flight from the booze, you know, because mm-hmm. you guys seem to be partying all three days. <laughs> so, if... if if I'm doing the show or not in the future most likely i <laughs> I will and saying tentatively i can't do it you know some people it's their life they go from show to show and they have a good time but uh yeah it looks like some friends i won't be seeing anymore for, for let's say for
0: the for the time being that sucks cuz i mean sometimes it's I don't want to say the fault of the management, but it's it's an oversight. Like, there was an issue back when they were in Sea Caucus, and they had the tent collapse on all the, but the guests and vendors out there. Mm. And it was like, all right, well, yeah, it was weather. It didn't happen ever before, but you could lay that as sort of a negligence thing, and you can understand why people were avoiding it for a while, especially the guests. But this is not something that's in control of anybody there. This is just... You know, shit happens Well, from
1: what, yeah, it remains to be seen By the way, coming
0: back here From what I heard, this is hearsay and rumor
1: uh, And I'm not promoting it I heard that there's been issues with the gas A slow gas leak In this hotel's area For a while So, that's a huge issue Because not only are there fines and stuff I'm sure, penalties from the local authorities That it got so bad that You know, you, as I said before You know, there's a faint smell <laughs> When there wasn't beforehand so, which means it must have busted open. But they knew about it, and they have and they have this big event. Yeah, you know. So I have no idea. So, uh, wow. All right. Well, that's one hell of a build up. Oh, jeez. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? I give Kevin Clement. I I will say this. I give him. And the, the senior staff guys above me, a lot, a lot of credit because everybody was just mentally wiped and everybody did their best. I mean, they extended the show also several hours to like Friday night time, almost 10, 11 o'clock. So there was that. But I think, you know, when you go back into this place, you're like, I need a drink.
0: You know? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, anyway. <laughs> Yes. And you know, you did have that premonition, you know, the omen. Like when you walk in the door, you know something's off. So, hey. Yes. Yes. That yeah. happens to me a lot. Uh, so, on that note, <laughs> time to pop the wine. There you go.